Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. We're getting a posse together to talk about the episode. But be warned, there's spoilers ahead. Anachronistic electricity, keep out signs, aggressive stares. Has someone been peeking at my Christmas list? Today I'm pleading the fifth. Excuses, excuses. <laughs> well, at least I don't have to think of anything funny to start the show off with. <laughs> and it proves that Mike is listening. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right. As I said at the beginning, we have a posse gathered. And let me introduce that posse to you as soon as I can unmute Perry. There we go. Uh, joining us is Kobo4747. Hello, Kobo. Hello, good sir, how are you? Not too bad. And since Darth isn't here, I feel comfortable suing his limbs. Oh no, he's here. Uh, he's here. <laughs> he's right underneath you. <laughs> but thank you for the hello, oh. good sir. And a person who is familiar with saying those lines, it's Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hello, Darth. Hello, sir, how are you? Very good, thank you. Very good. Also, joining us, he's just coming. He's just landed in his capsule, I'm sure. It's Mr. Perry G. Hello, Perry. Hello, Ian. Glad you could make it. Yeah, I, I just about made it. I may have to duck out, though, after a little while. Duck! Duck! Oh, There's no what? ducks in the pond. That means he's volunteered himself to go early. Go first. Oh, I said a secret word. Duck! Duck! Quack, quack, quack. And quacking up in the corner, it's Brickwall. Hello, sir. Yeah, hello, guys. <laughs> Glad you could make it. Glad to be here, as always. Also joining us, Jeff, the seventh doctor is here. Hello, Jeff. Hello. I'm looking for my Doug egg-shaped spacecraft. Has anyone seen it around here? Um, I thought I saw it being towed. Did you park it illegally again? I might have. <laughs> 
I think my hellhound has it in her mouth. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> also, joining us on the phone, Kindar is here. Hello, sir. Hello, everyone. Hope everybody's having a great weekend. Not too bad. And yourself? Oh, I'm having a fun weekend. I'm parking, and then I've got nothing to do but listen to you guys. I thought you said you were having a good weekend. <laughs> Our sympathies. Oh, no, we appreciate you being here, sir. Thank you. <laughs> and last but not least on the telephone, it's Mr. Cuddly Ken. Hello, sir. Good afternoon, you varmint. I think that's Coyote Ken this week. <laughs> uh, glad you could make it. Glad to be here. All right. Well, we've got another posse forming. They're forming under the cone of silence. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? 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 All right. <laughs> Joining us under the cone today, Barman54 is here. Uh, Cake Size Cakes is here. Logan is here. Fierce Turtle. Mm, I like that name. Jeff G7 is here. Cyborg's here. Mr. Randall Thor, as was mentioned in the intro, is here. <laughs> Guest 18. If you behave, we'll unmute you. <laughs> cakes is cakes. Oh, God. See? Never get it right. <laughs> cakes is cakes. Yes, there you go. That works. Uh, I like that too. Davros just rolled in in the bath chair. <laughs> and we are joined by the Queen herself. Terry Lightfoot has deemed it in her power to join us. <laughs> and yes, I do keep forgetting that Barman54 is Ken, but he's worth mentioning twice. <laughs> Thank you. See, there's this. Uh, I'll take one of your other mistakes, Dave. You can't make any more now. Uh, okay. <laughs> and we've suitably embarrassed Terry Lightfoot. My work here is done. Dave. Me? Oh, yeah, you. All right. I'll go. We'll get going, right, then. Because it's like we're, with no news, we've got spoilers coming up, and we're going to get going. We are indeed. <laughs> yeah, we're, and get, uh, we've. Uh, get your Perry uh, is a volunteer to go first. Hopefully he's not going to make any more mistakes. I've been hearing bad oh. things about the Mars lander. Oh dear, really? fancy sending germs up to Mars. It's not right at all. <gasps> yeah. Somebody had to mess with uh, one of Perry's drill, drills or something and they forgot to sterilise it. So it went up. Oh, to, oh. Let's play a clip. <laughs> We're going to Perry after the first clip. Here we go. I knew you'd find me eventually. Make peace with your gods. Once they were your gods too. Not anymore. Am I... Am I the last one? There's one more. The Doctor. Mercy. 81 residents. Uh, the sign does say keep out. I see keep out signs as suggestions more than actual orders, like dry clean only. That's not right. It 
It's a street lamp. An electric street lamp about ten years too early. It's only a few years out. That's what you said when you left your phone charger in Henry VIII's on suite. Doctor, um... Anachronistic electricity, keep out signs, aggressive stairs. Has someone been peeking at my Christmas list? Doctor. Okay, we'll go with Perry then. Uh, the people who went last last time were Kobo and Davros towards the end. So we'll be going to those two following on after clips. So Perry, you've uh, jumped straight into it for us, please. Oh boy, yeah, so to speak. Um, just getting out my wipes to wipe off the, the rover arm, I guess. Uh, who knows what it's been touching. Um, yeah, so this episode... Um, there were, I guess there were a few things I did like about it, but I would say on the whole, I was kind of disappointed with this one. I mean, again, we have the doctor arriving somewhere where he's unknown, which I liked. So it's a, and it's a sort of a standalone story with, um, but I guess I've only seen it once, so I haven't had a lot of time to go back and sort of. Um, think up, think about point by point about things. Um, I, I thought there was some. Hello. Hello. <laughs> what the hell? Doing number four. Your time is up. <laughs> I told you, alien life has just been found. Hold on, I gotta put in another quarter. Um, <laughs> let's see. But and and I thought there were some some good you know uh, isolated lines of dialogue in there. Um, some things that kind of stand out to me, I guess, are the the lines about being a mother. And I'm not sure if, I mean, they, those lines seem a little out of place, perhaps, where um, they talk about the, well, let's see, there was the the alien doctor, who's not the doctor, but there is the, the Kala, Kala, I guess you pronounce it, um, even though when you see it written, it looks to me, as an American, I would probably pronounce it collar, but in uh, British, I guess in British English, it sounds more like Kala. And the the Kala doctor, he um, mentions to Amy that she she has the I think she said something about has the eyes of a mother. You could tell something about she has sad eyes. And uh, um, she said like a a kindness. And I think some, he said there was a little bit of the stuff. kindness of the of a mother. Kindness of a mother, yeah. So, so there are a few lines of dialogue in there that I thought were okay, and I thought some of the interactions between the doctor and the the collar doctor. Can't remember his name. Collar Collar Jex, I think his name was the doctor, and I think they had some interesting lines, uh, interactions between them. At one point, it almost seems as if um, Collar Jex is. Um, mentioning it or referring to the time war, but I guess not. I might have read into that too much where he says a line that says something like, I'm glad our people weren't relying on you for protection or something like that, or, or glad we didn't go. No, it was protection. a war on his planet. Oh, okay. But, but when he did say that, it, it seemed to strike. It was a, hello? Something struck? Very. Something struck very. Okay, well, um, Perry, we'll ask Perry to put in t chat if his audio comes back. What I'll do is I'll go and play another clip, and then we'll go to to Kobo, um, and we'll see how we go from there. 
tea, but the strong stuff. Leave the bag in. What you doing here, son? Son, <laughs> you can stay. Sir, might I inquire who you is? Of course, I'm the doctor. This is... No need to stand. You see that? Manners. Oh, thank you. But I don't need a new suit. I'm the undertaker, sir. I got a question. Is you an alien? Well, um, yes, I suppose I am. <laughs> He's coming. Preacher, say something. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. <laughs> thy will be done. You! Bowtie, get back across that line. Now. And uh, we'll, we will go back to Perry. Perry's uh, resetting his X light. So uh, can we go to Kobo? I think Perry's back in the room, so I'll defer. Okay. All right. Thank you. Can you just unmute Perry and we'll see how he's going? Uh, I'm working on that. I've clicked on him three times. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> How's it? We'll give him a How's it better? Yep. Uh, I think yeah. one of your okay. onboard I computers packed up. I heard a I heard a beep almost like a call waiting because I heard a beep, and then uh, I kept talking, but I guess that's when I cut out. Yeah, all your best bits, we lost them. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I lost I lost those years ago myself. Okay. If you can remember your train of thought, then please. Continue. Um, well, I was talking about the the interaction between the doctor and the and Collar Jacks, and about how that seemed to strike a nerve with with the doctor. And so well, there was a parallel, wasn't there? Although. There was yeah. a parallel, although he didn't know it, with presumably the Doctor and the Time War. Yeah, and so uh, so I wasn't sure about that, but I, I, it probably wasn't referring to the Time War, but I, I sort of took it that way. Um, but I, I thought there were some interesting lines. I thought it was an interesting story, I guess, about the Collar War and um, about the cyborg and about how he came to be and, and how he had these sort of you know, um, sort of wanted revenge on uh, the people who created him. Um, but I would say overall, I found it all kind of flat, the episode. Mm. There were some scenes having to do with, you know, with the younger people living in the town and the doctor trying to convince them not to fight each other. And and that was okay, but there wasn't much depth to those characters specifically the 18-year-old um, who we seem to focus on and where there could have been more depth to that character or more interest in him, I guess, created in the audience, but I didn't get that. And um, I, don't, I don't know. I just didn't feel like there was a lot of depth to the characters. The, the doctor had some funny lines to say and and a few, in, few interesting things happened, but I thought the the way the story sort of resolved itself was boring um, and predictable, and 
I was left with sort of a feeling like, yeah, you know, what happened? It felt like a short episode to me, and it just felt like not much happened. There wasn't any character development, you know, with Rory and Amy or the Doctor really. Um, and yeah, um, I mean, it was fun. There were some fun moments, I guess, with the horse uh, being a transgender horse or something, um, and wanting to be called Susan. And um, the doctor can speak horse, apparently, like like Gandalf, I suppose, can speak horse. And um, so there were some funny lines there with the doctor talking to the horse. Um, but again, as far as the main plot went, um, it was interesting, but a bit flat, and um, I, I was left sort of bored in the end. Yeah. So. I can see you struggling to actually come up with things. Um, I mean, I'll, yeah. I'll do my thing towards the end, but I mean, one of the things I thought, I don't know you'd agree with this, Perry, was that um, I, I watched the trailer for this, which had uh, three or four really good, interesting you know, uh, hooks in it, and I thought, blimey, yeah. this is good. And it turned out those four hooks were about the only interesting bits. Yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> in, yeah. In so. yeah, no, I, I, I agree 100%. I mean, I just don't think, I don't know, it just felt kind of flat. And I don't even know, I mean, I noticed the music was, it didn't seem like Doctor Who music. It, I mean, they made it to try to feel like a Western, I suppose. Mm. Um, I actually quite like that. I thought the banjo... You liked it? I thought I thought the banjo theme in it gave it a nice scene uh-huh. setting. And the, and, and the fact that I think they'd gone to Spain to do it meant that the light looked realistic. I mean, you can't do a Western... Yeah in the UK, uh, so it had that intensity of light, and presumably oh, yeah. it's some sort of... The, yeah, everything yeah. I, I thought was, was great. But um, but I just felt like the story was sort of, I, I don't know, it was just sort yeah. of flat and not much to it. I mean, um, Cyborg comes to town, they don't know why the Cyborg's there, they discover why the Cyborg's there, you know, yeah. plot, they reveal this guy's secrets, and... and he sort of resolves the plot by running off and killing himself. So, yeah, I, I think a little bit like last how week. About, where, how about well, having the mad scientist trying to justify his uh, his creation by saying, oh, instead of killing off uh, or making the war last uh, another decade, we made it last nine weeks. Just nine weeks. He was so proud of himself. I think it was the yeah. experimentation before <laughs> he got it. Dev- I mean, these people were not under anaesthetics or anything, were they? Listening back to that recording, this felt like something I had seen before. I guess that character and the things he was saying. Well, it's, we've seen it before, but I thought it was well done. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure there will be. Well, I don't think. I don't think uh, it will be universally. Uh, I mean, I don't say I dislike it, and actually I've got some positive things to say about it later, but certainly on first watching on the night, it seemed to be very uninvolving, and um, I was waiting for the story to actually yeah. sort of take off. And Yeah, it, it didn't, it didn't, didn't grip me, really, at any yeah. time. And I thought, you know, the doctor wielding the gun around a bit was a mm. bit too much. I was glad during the sort of the gunfight scene where he pulled out the sonic screwdriver instead of pulling out the gun. Um, but he was sort of wielding that gun around a lot, it seemed like. And that's, 
I guess Amy sort of addressed that with him, you know, had that argument with him about um, what was wrong with him, you know. And um, But I feel like we've seen that before, too. I mean, between uh, Donna and the doctor, you know, in The Runaway Bride, where they had that argument about what he's becoming, you know, how he's becoming angry and, and violent and things like that. So, um, so I, I, I felt like it's been rehashed. I think I... I feel like what Darth was saying last week about how, or the, or the week before, about how the, this story, the Stephen Moffat, I know this wasn't written by Stephen Moffat, but a lot of the, he seems to be rehashing old themes uh, in some of these stories, which, you know, sometimes is okay, but in my mind it seemed kind of repetitive and characters we've seen before and types of situations we've seen before. And, uh, so, so that's kind of how I felt about it. Absolutely, a, a, a valid point of view, I think. And VST, Fertile writes in text, perhaps I liked it better because I didn't watch the trailers. Well, indeed, yeah. that, that could well be true. And Jiffy G7 has put about the gun thing. Another yeah. podcaster suggested that the aberrant behavior, maybe because the Dalek nano genes having changed, changed him, I assume you mean that. And of course, it was mm. mentioned again that this is the 1,200-year-old doctor as well. I was going to say that, that too. Yeah, yeah. He said he was 1,200 okay. years old at one point. And so Amy says, "This is what happens when you travel alone too much. This is how you get." Yeah. But well, I don't know. Going back to the impossible I astronaut, I, I, I'm, I'm I not... liked it when the doctor had more of a morality about these things. Yeah. Well, again, I'm not totally sure whether we've had a switch of doctor again because I've lost the uh, the plot line of you know, which age Doctor is the one that's been travelling with them and whether there's been yeah. a switcheroo. But, um, okay, D- do we move on from you now, Perry, or not? Are yeah, you... go ahead. Go ahead. I- I'm curious to hear what other people say. Yeah. Okay, well, we'll go to Kobo, and uh, if Ian... Oh, he's unmuted already. Thank you. And then I'll play a clip after that. So, Kobo, your thoughts? I, I liked it for many of the reasons Perry did not. Um, there you go. Um, That's good. That's good. I think the interaction between Amy and the Doctor sort of reinforces why he travels around with people. Not only does he make them better, but they make him just as good as he makes them. And he was about to kill the doctor if he hadn't stopped him. I mean, I think we've only seen the doctor get that angry once or twice in the last few series. Um... Most notably, the end of time part two. Um, and I think the doctor needs people to tell him, "Hey, cool off! You're going about this the wrong way. This isn't what you do." And I think. Amy knows that about the doctor, and she can rein him in. Uh, 
And um, how much of a gap are we seeing between these Amy and Rory episodes? For us, it's been a week. But obviously, in the universe terms, it's been a while between dinosaurs on a spaceship and a town called Mercy. Well, the previous break was 10 months. We don't know how long the break was this time, do we? No, we don't. And all of a sudden, he's 1,200. So, this is still before the impossible astronaut for our doctor, isn't it? It must be building up to it for this for this. Version. I mean, I must admit, uh, I've lost the continuity in my mind. But one of the other things that Amy did say, uh, right towards the end, and that's one of the things about listening to the audio when I'm doing these clips, is the fact that she said um, they didn't want to come back with the do- doctor again because um, the friends would start to begin to notice that Rory and Amy are aging a lot faster than their friends. So we've got to assume that there's lots of time that they've spent in the the TARDIS, maybe more than we've seen. And that explains, of course, that um, it's only been a few years since we met Amy and Rory, and they were like barely 20 or 21 or 22 or 3. And now Rory last week, I think, said he's 31. Uh, when he's talking to his father, he's, he said something like 30, 30. So we've got to assume that um, you know they've aged at least double the Earth years that have gone by. And that Obviously, it's time that they've spent in the TARDIS. What I loved about this episode is that it was so philosophical. It was deep. I mean, the Doctor redeemed himself by blowing up his spacecraft with him in it. I mean, he even said, I'm going to end the war for both of us. Meaning the gunslinger and himself. Right. And I just loved that. I mean, when he was describing his afterlife, climbing a mountain with all the souls that you've wronged, that was just beautiful and... I thought it was absolutely amazing. And I think the Doctor did touch a nerve when he started comparing our Doctor to himself. Because the Doctor was obviously thinking the time war and oh my god, he's right. I think when anybody remotely makes him think of the time war, we revert back to Eccleston's Doctor. And the version of the Doctor that was forged out of the Time War. You know? Mm. So I don't think it... I don't think it had anything to do with the Dalek virus or whatever. I think it's just when somebody forces him to remember that part of his life... He just kind of short circuits a bit. 
think, Again, I think, exactly yes. exactly why he needs a human companion. To prevent him from short circuiting. In situations like this. And for that reason, this episode is the best of the season so far. Right. Uh, and when you say best so far, does that mean you rate it as high as a? We don't really have a TARDIS rating, but I mean, does that mean that you? It was a five out of five, or, or just the best so far? Therefore, a four out of five sort of thing. Uh, I'd say a good solid four, which I know I rated dinosaurs a five when I initially watched it, but on the rewatch, it's. A three, three and a half. Right. Okay. And I think, having watched this one twice, it went up in value, and, well, dinosaurs went down. And I think if Perry went back and watched it again, he he would find a lot more stuff to be enjoyable well again I mean uh, yep. the, he probably will watch it again I would imagine um, I don't know whether Perry's actually hearing us on audio now he, he seems to, I hope to so. make a comment still here. oh oh, good <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were commenting that things had gone skew with for you good no I, I don't know what happened earlier but it seems to be okay now but um, no I, I, yeah I do plan to watch it again and, and maybe I'll catch some more that I didn't catch the uh, the first time, but the general impression at my house was sort of a thumbs down to this one. And uh, just let me jump in there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're losing Terry, but the, uh, she'll try and get back in. Uh, thanks for dropping in, Terry, and trying coming on audio. And um, I think we could probably uh, allow Guest 18 to chat now, Ian. I think they've been here long enough to uh, have served their... Uh, Apprenticeship. Uh, sorry, guest eighteen. That we, we are careful with people that have come in as guests, but you're most welcome. Uh, okay, so let me just go back to Kobo. Kobo, are, are you uh, okay for us to move along now? Yeah. Okay, we might. I might ask Ian to mute you because we are getting some uh, just back, bits of background noise from you. But you can always put yourself in the queue. Um, and okay, we'll, no problem. Okay, well, I'll play another clip, and then we'll be going to Dav Ross, followed by Ken. Here we go. Isaac, he said he was a doctor. An alien doctor. Had a reason to hand him to his death? But Isaac, it could be him. You know it ain't. What was that outside? The gunslinger. Showed up three weeks back. We've been prisoners ever since. No supply wagons, no reinforcements. Pretty soon the whole town's gonna starve to death. But he let us in. What does he want? Has he issued some kind of demand? Says he wants us to give him the alien doctor. I think it's about time I met him, don't you? I think the time for subterfuge has passed. Good afternoon. My name is Carla Jakes. I'm the doctor. 
The Carla. I love the Carla. They're one of the most ingenious races in the galaxy. Uh, how did you get here? My craft crashed about a mile or so out of town. I would have died if Isaac and the others hadn't pulled me from the wreckage. Two years after he arrived, there was an outbreak of cholera. Thanks to the doc here, not a single person died. A minor infection we'd found a treatment for centuries. No, no, no. What, what do you call them? The, the electrics? Using my ship as a generator, I was able to rig up some rudimentary heating and lighting for the town. Did you try to repair your craft? Surely someone with your skills. It really was very badly damaged. Okay, let's go to uh, Davros, please. Hello. Hi. Uh, well, uh, unfortunately, so far, the first two episodes, I've been very positive about high ratings, enjoyed them. This one, I was kind of waiting to hear the Last Chance Saloon song playing every five minutes. I uh, lovingly am calling it A Town Called Terrible. I'm, I absolutely just did not like this episode. It's the first time ever, at least that I can recall, that I actually fell asleep during a new episode of Doctor Who. I had to go back and watch the DVR because I missed about 20 minutes of it. Um, it didn't suck me in even a little bit. I didn't like the story, did not like the, 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 uh, the, the alien race whatsoever. Um, I'm a much bigger fan of aliens that don't look human and Hey, we're humans with a little bit of pain on our face was really like not, not cool to me at all. Um, in fact, it, it spoke volumes during uh, the scene where the, uh, the cyborg is uh, being tricked by he's, he's scanning all the people running by and he's uh, fooled for a moment by the face paint like he wouldn't have some sort of a ability to uh, scan, you know, um, their biology or anything like that. So the face paint is, is what's throwing him off. That, that blew my mind. Um, I, I thought the cyborg was done very well. I, I, I like the fact that it wasn't perfect looking, um, kind of had a, you know, an imperfect, uh, uh, wielded of war kind of look, which is what they were created for. So I did like that. Um, really did not like the doctor carrying a gun at all. That's not cool in my book. That comes from the classic fan out of me. Um, but yeah, overall I'd give it like a negative 50 out of 10. I've just, really hated it. Can I ask if you yep. just watched it the once, or will you be able to bring yourself to watch it a second time? Uh, well, I, I guess I kind of watched it two times, because when I, when I pulled up oh, the yeah, DVR, yeah, course, yeah. I went ahead and watched it all the way through. I was like, well, maybe, you know, I was kind of tired, you know, maybe I, you know, I'm just not catching it, and um, I, you know, I, I, it wasn't that, <laughs> it wasn't that at all for me. It's just was really not my kind of who, so I'm really hoping that uh, that that next week kind of kind of pulls an opposite effect from me back. Okay, uh, it sounds as though that's probably all you want to actually comment on this one. That's pretty much what I got. I uh, like <laughs> the cyborg. Didn't like anything else. That's that's what I got. Okay, thank you for that. I can jump in for a question, though. I, I, yeah, certainly. i got to ask, you're saying from the perspective of a classic series fan, you have a problem with the Doctor carrying a gun? What classic series episodes are you not watching? Tom Baker, Seeds of Doom. Colin, uh, 
you know, uh, oh, there are definitely episodes or, in the classic series. Where Resurrection he of the Daleks, definitely, definitely. Yeah, and 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 also, I'm not quite understanding why you have a problem with humans looking like a, you know aliens looking like humans because that's a standard Doctor Who trope. I mean, you got Adric, Nissa, Turlo, just to talk about series regulars, but you know there there are tons of near human species in the. Uh, Doctor Universe, I'm not quite getting your objection there. Well, basically, um, what I'm talking about is, I guess I misworded that. I'm talking about the Doctor using a gun. He, that scene, whether anybody else read it differently than myself, as far as I'm concerned, it looked like if Amy hadn't stopped him, he could have used that gun. Um, the, the, the Doctor that I'm familiar with watching, whether he's grabbing a weapon or not, in most cases, um, will not use it. In some very active cases, hands it back and gives a, a little few-second speech as to why he doesn't want it, you know, why he doesn't like guns. That doctor looked like he was going to pull the trigger, and that, that bothered me. Um, as far as the aliens, that I'm speaking on more of new series. I think a lot of episodes in the new series, has, uh, they've really gone leaps and bounds to make... Um, very original aliens on several episodes. Um, I think they're they're breaking out of the uh, because of the ability of new special effects and new budgets and things of that nature. So that's uh, kind of where I was going with that. That had nothing to do with the classic series. Of course, we know the classic series was uh, quite limited because of budget and other things. And I, you know, they did they did what they could with what they had at the time. Um, but I think the the new series has really done a really awesome job of going above and beyond that because they have that ability and it just it felt like a backtrack in a way to me that it wasn't very original for what the new series has done with the with various species and races that they've created um so that that's kind of where i was uh, coming from with that i mean they certainly had the 10th dr david Tennant saying you know uh the ma- you know a man who never would uh, in yeah. terms of you know use a gun uh Exactly so, uh, that kind of stuff. I, I suppose it depends on what which episodes you've watched, which which I mean the 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 Doctor's persona, of course, has changed over time, and I think Kobo's remark was on the ball a little bit that um, as soon as anybody mentions, don't mention the war. <laughs> if it, mm. You know, a bit uh, once that gets mentioned, he, he certainly gets edgy. But I must admit, it was strange to me because it only last week. He he let that man go to his death, didn't he? On the uh, well, he didn't just spaceship. let him go to his death. He, he pushed the, the uh, homing device. Yeah, he pulled the trigger there. I mean, he just didn't have a gun in his hand, but he might as well have. So I'm not yeah. really, I'm not, I'm not seeing an inconsistency. I'm seeing an evolution of the Eleventh Doctor into a darker area. Right. Okay. Well, um, we'll certainly come back to people and have a little go. What I'll do is I'll play another clip, and then we'll go to Ken. We evacuate the town. Our ship's just over the hills. Room for everyone. I'll pop out, bring it back here. Robert's your uncle. Really? Simple as that. No crazy schemes, no negotiations. I've matured. I'm 1,200 years old now. Plus, I don't want to miss the archers. You still got to get past the gunslinger. How are you going to do that? Can I borrow your horse, please? It's official martial business. He's called Joshua. It's from the Bible. It means the deliverer. No, he isn't. What? I speak horse. He's called Susan. And he wants you to respect his life choices. 
I think he's smashed. This way. We evacuate the town. Our ship's just over the hills. Room for everyone. I'll pop out, bring it back here. Robert's your uncle. Really? Simple as that. No crazy schemes, no negotiations. I've matured. I'm 1,200 years old now. Plus, I don't want to miss the archers. You still got to get past the gunslinger. How are you going to do that? And what happened there, I was just typing an answer into Rick Wall, and as soon as it did it, it went and started replaying the blooming clip again. There you are. That's the end for you. Makes mistakes <laughs> all the way through the show. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Uh, Rick Wall had put something in. Can I go after Ken, please? So I started to type. As soon as I hit the button, it reset the uh, the clip. So, yeah, it was the computer that did it. <laughs> computer malfunction. <laughs> Let's go to Ken, and we will be going to Rick Wall after. Okay. Um, I'm a sucker for westerns, so they got me from the get-go with this episode. Of the three episodes this season, um, this is my favorite. The Dalek episode on watching, an okay Dalek episode, but what was really good about it was Jenna Louise Coleman and the character's sacrifice at the end. That was the payoff on it. Last week was a really enjoyable romp and an all-around fun episode, but not brilliant. This is getting more into it. This this was a lot of fun, but we got a, a nice amount of darkness in the episode, a nice bit of uh, character share, uh, layering uh, all through it. Um, Town Called Mercy wasn't just an homage to Westerns. I think they were doing a, a nice Western Um Getting some information on the production background, it's it's really kind of nice and amazing. They went to the effort um, to go to the desert of Tamarian in Almora, Spain. And this is the location where they filmed Fistful of Dollars and a few dollars more, the, um, you know, classic films. Um Spaghetti Westerns that uh, we all grew up in and, and loved, you know. So um, I really got to give them uh, a lot of credit for that. The music underneath it all um, reminded me of Elmer Bernstein's work on, let's say, um, Magnificent Seven and Ennio uh, and Morricone's work for all the Sergio Leone movies. So already they're putting that effort into it to give it a feel and a look of a real Western. The cinematography was really, really nice. Um, again, we have Saul Metstein returning for direction two times a season. Um, evidently, these are the first times that he's directed Doctor Who, and I think he did a really fine job. But in the show, there was such a nice balance um, in it. Begins, again, it's a nice thing that we have the pawns not back home, picked up by the doctor. They've been traveling for a while. Again, this question, the doctor's now 1,200 years old. What's been going on? Where's the continuity on this? It's questions for later this year and for next year. You know, what the heck is going on? Um, we have classic Western tropes. The evil gunslinger come to town. The people protecting the 
very kind, innocent man, the good, the good and kindly doctor in jail. And what do they do? They flip it. Um, he's a war criminal. He has a conscience. He's not some stereotypical black and white character going, I was following orders, you don't understand. No, he's got a lot of guilt. That's what made his performance. Adrian Scarborough, Scarborough um, played Collier Jex. The guy's great. I have not seen him in anything that I remember, but he's a very memorable actor after this for me. I think he gave a really fine performance. We also have Ben Browder uh, from Farscape and uh, Stargate as Sheriff Isaac. Really nice performance. I love the line, this is America. This is the land where we give second chances. Really nice line. It It's kind of like the opposite line that we get in a lot of Doctor Who episodes about England, small, mighty island, fighting against tyranny and lasting through all adversity. I really like that. Um, the whole cast gave a great job. Matt Smith was at his best. He's funny, and he's scary in this episode. Really scary. It really troubled me that the doctor does lose it, that he does grab a gun, that he is on the edge of breaking that internal attitude that he's just going to throw somebody to the wolves and kill. And I liked it. It made it unpredictable. Um, it is an evolution of this doctor. What's going to happen next with him? Where are they, where are they reaching uh, toward the 50th anniversary? I thought that was great. Um, Rory, unfortunately, didn't have anything to do with this episode. Yeah. They even proved it with the line when the uh, preacher called him, oh, by the way, fella. And Rory looks at him like, oh, great, I'm fella. Well, he was fella in this episode. But Amy, um, at times I've had a feeling of great ennui for her character. Not in these few episodes. She was great here. The moral conscience of the episode, she uh, knocked sense into the doctor at the end, and it was a great scene. It was a great, great scene. I like the mythic quality they put into it, the narration of the beginning and the end. I love the use of the townspeople, the use of the 18-year-old 18 18 boy whose life is going to be thrown away. This is a classic use in Westerns that, they, uh, that was used in the classic Gregory Peck film, The Gunfighter, also John Wayne's last film, The Shootist, of the young man taking up violence, and once down that road, that's it. So he stops that. There's little, little bits of oxbow incident in, in this. It's, it's kind of a little bit of Magnificent Seven, a little bit of Shane, and a little bit of good, bad, and the ugly. Um, I really liked this episode. Really thought it was good. Um, the dialogue, Toby Whitehouse filled it with really fun and really compassionate moments. I like the line, good men sometimes forget they're good. And the exchanges with Amy 
and the alien doctor were wonderful, and the confrontations at the end, and I really love the last image of, and the uh, spiritual attitude of, well, we don't have a sheriff exactly, we don't we don't need one, we have a protector, we have an angel, so I really like this episode. I would give it uh, four Tardises. It's not going to nothing's going to have five until we get into like human nature, uh, turn left and blink categories. I, I reserve five for those. But this is the best of the season so far. I really liked it. Okay. Did you want to come in, Kobo? Uh, otherwise I'm, we'll mute you. I really love the line, um, you're both good men, you just don't remember it sometimes. When the marshal was dying. Yes. Beautiful um, line. Yeah. Beautiful line. I mean, it summed up the Doctor, both of them, so perfectly. A lot of moments were really touching in this episode. And, you know, again, it didn't hurt that I'm really a sucker for Westerns. I, I love the genre. And to me... And I agree. I, th- I think Rory should have been more involved in this one. <laughs> I mean, he had, what, three lines of dialogue total? Yeah. But but we do get a horse called Susan, and that is a <laughs> wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a transgender horse. Yes. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. Oh, there, there's something else. I forget exactly which character he played. Uh, Star Wars trivia. I had no idea. But... Garrick Hagen, who played a character Abraham in the episode, and I'm not sure which character that was, he was Biggs Darklighter in Star Wars. And he's in the episode. Was so, it the preacher, was it? No, it wasn't the Not the preacher. Oh, it was the Undertaker. No, the, Undertaker. the Undertaker. The yeah. Undertaker. Okay, he, he had some nice, effective bits. You know, yeah. I, I like what he's uh, saying. I really like you. I really like you, uh... Uh, doctor or sheriff, I I think you're really going to stand up for this town. And he, then he's measuring him. You know, oh, you stop him. that. He's also been in Classic Who, The Mutants. He played the rebel leader, Kai, yes. is it, K-Y? Yeah. And yeah. I also yeah. love the line, um, when the town's people, Thanks, when Tom. the kids and the young are in the church, the preacher's praying, please, Help me to believe. Yes, I and I and I and I like uh, when the preacher is um, is doing the uh, rosary or um, the snatches of uh, verse in the beginning as the, um, the gunfighters coming. Yeah. Yep. I think was really really effective, and I think it was nice again having a scene in a church. That at first the gunfighters saying I'm going to kill everyone in this town, and then we really see the measure of of this this creature's heart, how good he really is, because he won't do it. He he won't kill the innocent, no matter all the bluff and uh, bravado. Won't do it. And uh, and I thought it was a very effective end 
with the alien doctor, what he does, it was simple and emotional. And you don't always have to have the big, gigantic ending. Sometimes a simpler ending uh, speaks volumes. And I think it was a nice mix of Eastern and Western religion as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, this is one of the more religious episodes of Doctor Who I can remember ever. The okay. Lord's Prayer, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you know, I, I think uh, we can probably allow uh, Guest 19 to chat now. They've been here long enough, Ian, and we've got Terry uh, back in the room. Um, we'll, I'll play a clip, and then we'll go to uh, uh, Rick Wall. Security breach. You have 10 seconds to enter the passcode. Seven. Self-destruct overridden. This is an awful lot of security for a Tiggy spacecraft. Personal files of Dr. Carla Jacks. Names of deceased subjects can be found on the drop-down menu. I'm sorry, Amy. He really should have followed the plan. I know who you are. And who Jax is, too. What I don't understand is why you haven't just walked into town and killed him. Get in the way. Look, you want justice. You deserve justice, but this isn't the way. We can put him on trial. We can... When he starts killing your people, you can use your justice. This man is a murderer. I am a scientist. Sit down. Sit down! Okay. Somebody want to tell me what is going on? The gunslinger is a cyborg. A what? Half man, half machine. Our task was to bring peace, and we did. When the war ended, we had the cyborgs decommissioned. But one of them must have got its circuitry damaged in battle. It went offline and began hunting down the team that created it until just two of us were left. We fled. And our ships crashed here. What do we do with Jax? What do we do with him? Yeah. I mean, he's a war criminal. You wouldn't. I genuinely don't know. Let him come back, Doctor. Or what? You won't shoot me, Amy. How do you know? Maybe I've changed. I mean, you've clearly been taking stupid lessons since I saw you last. I didn't mean to do that. Everyone who isn't an American, drop your gun. Stupid lessons, I like that one. I am so glad you played that clip because uh, I'm probably the only one who liked this episode because of all the metaphor. As I said before, you got the mad scientist trying to justify what he did, even though he's wrong. I'd love I, uh, you know, I, I liked the line, oh, I shortened the war, I saved lives, it only took nine weeks for us to win the war, blah, blah, blah. I'd like a writer, when somebody says that, though, to say, oh, you shortened the war and you saved lives. Can I talk to somebody on the other side? <laughs> uh, 
you know, and, and oh, I gave these people like electricity. I saved the kid. You know, I brought kids into the world. I saved the the. I healed the sick and wounded. Fine. But that does that really justify what you did to begin with? You created that thing. Fine. You yeah. You won the war. Congratulations. And it took nine weeks for you to win. Congratulations. You saved countless numbers of your soldiers. Congratulations. How about all the people you killed developing it? How about all the people it killed after you developed it? Huh? What about them? A war criminal is a war criminal. So you're saying this was a lot deeper episode than perhaps some people thought. Is that is that yes. your point of view? Yes. Um, you know, and and like Cobol uh, said, I love the 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 thing when he said that you know when when in my race we believe when you die you got to carry the the souls of the, all the people you killed up the mountain or hill or whatever. Um, you know, and, you know, after this episode, I don't want to hear the doctor get on his high horse, his high moral horse, and talk morals. Now, this is not a criticism, but, you know, he's just as bad. I mean, what did he do? You know, he he could be considered a war criminal, too. I mean, look at the, the the Pandorica. You know, why did all the other races, you know, the Centaurans, the Cybermen, Daleks, shove them in there? Because he killed uncountless thousands of them, if not millions. And the doctor even addresses that in his reasoning for giving up the other doctor. I'm thinking yeah. of the yeah. victims first. The Daleks, yeah. the Cybermen, all the people who died because of my mercy. He's using justification to kill again. That's not yeah. why they put him in the Pandorica, though. They thought that he was going to destroy the universe, so they put him in there so he couldn't. Mm, true. But um, you know, I I I don't know. I like I said, I liked it because of the metaphor, and um, um, it was something different. And I'm not a big um, a Western fan. Yeah, I like these spaghetti westerns, and I thought they did a great job at uh, um, um, doing that kind of feel. But uh, I I thought I don't, you know, I like I said, I like metaphor, metaphorical. Um, 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 episodes, and that's what I look at this one as. Maybe I'm looking at it different than everybody else, but that's just my opinion. And I was going okay. to ask if, if the preacher was in, um, um, because uh, he he, he sound, sounded familiar. He sounded like the guy who was the head of the. Uh, um, the town in um, Dalek's in New York. 
Uh, I don't know. Does anybody know about that? No, that was a different actor. That oh, was, it was? That, that was actually an actor who was in um, um, Phantom Menace. Oh, okay. A different actor. But I, I love what you said, but um, it, it's true. The metaphors did make the episode so good. I was reminded of the whole thing about his penance for afterlife. It was like the whole uh, myth of, uh, or the legend of Sisyphus, pushing that boulder up the mountain forever. And then once it gets up to the mountain, it goes back down again for all eternity. So he has that great weight of uh, guilt upon him for all time. And I loved the, I loved our doctor's line. I know what this is. This is penance for what you've done. And as penance goes, it's a nice choice. Lots of adulation. Nice hours. The weather's good. But that's not how this works. You don't get to choose your punishment. <laughs> yep. Exactly. That was a beautiful line. Okay. Um, one of the things I thought about when he said uh, when he said about this doctor making his weapons, uh, Rick Wall was one of the things the things that's been levelled against the doctor is the fact that he turns his companions into weapons, wasn't it? Journey's End and all that. It was the uh, was it Danvros that accused him of you know turning all the companions into. He didn't fight himself. He let his companions do this thing. So although he didn't actually yeah. change them. Mechanically, he actually made them do do you know do his fighting for him. I think there's a difference between somebody willing to die for you because they believe in you so much. Oh, there is a difference. But what I mean is, I think that that the doctor can see some parallels. Are some parallels are being drawn with the doctor? That are a little bit close to home for him and make him a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, and again, with a, as, you, as somebody else said, with Amy reminding him, you know, I mean, obviously the doctor's got a lot stronger moral centre than this other person. And anybody else keep wanting to say Sharad Jack <laughs> um, from uh, Caves of Andrazar? I was thinking I that all through the episode, so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, right. Um, Rick Wall, have you done your little bit now? Are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm done. Okay, I'll play. Uh, next clip uh, is uh, a short clip. Darth will be relieved, and then we'll go to Darth. It's only 35 seconds, Darth. We could end this right now. We could save everyone right now. This is not how we roll, and you know it. What's happened to you, Doctor? When did killing someone become an option? Jack has to answer for his crimes. I'm not there. Are you going to hunt down everyone who's made a gun or a bullet or a bomb? But they keep coming back. Don't you see? Every time I negotiate, I try to understand. Well, not today. No. Today, I honour the victims first. His, the Masters, the Daleks, all the people who died because of my mercy. See, this is what happens when you travel alone for too long. Well, listen to me, Doctor. We can't be like him. We have to be better than him. Uh, okay, uh, Darth, are you good to go now? Yes, I suppose I am. Just uh, yeah, caught a little bit unawares, but I always am. That's how it happens. <laughs> yeah, I think finally here we are. 
you know, the the last episode of Doctor Who that I fully enjoyed, I think, was probably Let's Go Hitler. So it's taken a year, but uh, there finally is a, a a decent episode of Doctor Who. I don't think it's excellent. I think there were some missed opportunities, but I think it is at least par Doctor Who. Um, and in some areas, it's quite excellent, but it's dragged out in other areas. So, um, you know, I think as somebody who immediately disliked uh, Nicola Bryant on the first words that came out of her mouth, I, I, I think I should speak for a moment about how much this got right in terms of Americanness. First of all, you cast an American to do the job, or... He cast, in the case of Garrick Hagan, somebody who um, you know lived in Canada, at least. I mean, at least get somebody on the continent to, to play this. And I, I think, you know, between um, Bird Wilkins, who plays the preacher, and Ben Browder and Garrick Hagan, you have people who are actually familiar with the um, American accents, and they were fantastic. They were seamless. There was nothing wrong with them. This is, in terms of the casting and the acting, this is the best representation of America that I think that we've ever gotten, um, on Doctor Who at least. And it certainly is miles away from the previous uh, Western, you know, which is just horrible in terms of accents. You know, the gunfighters... All right, it's almost 50 years ago, but it is um, horrible accents, and they don't improve themselves when they get a tenth planet. You know, there's just a long history in Doctor Who being disappointed by the depiction of America, and this is finally a good one. I think also props have to go out to the either you know the props team, you know, led by Penny Howard there, or maybe it's something that Toby Whithouse actually took five seconds on the internet to research. But thank God. When they held up the, you know, badge of the marshal, that it had marshal spelled the right way and not the British way. I, I honestly was thinking, I, I was honestly thinking it was going to be, you know, marshal with two L's because, you know, in recent memory, like with Dreamland, you know, that was set in America, but there were many sort of, I mean, I know that was a, an animation, but you still have people who are doing backgrounds. You still have people who are effectively doing the props. And they had messed up some things. You know, they'd spelled authorized the Amer the British way instead of the American way, organization, you know, basic spelling errors like that. But this thing, thank the Lord, you know, at least the key, you know, symbol of the entire episode was spelled the American way. And I, I know that seems like a small thing, but in Doctor Who history, seriously, even down to props makers, usually Doctor Who has got it wrong when it comes to uh, depicting America. And this time, I thought, even though it's in Spain, they they did a great job on across uh, departments to get it right. And I think, um, you know, we do have to give a shout out to the, you know, Stefan Pearson, who is a god of a cinematographer. Um and and also, I think, too, you know, we have here a new colorist. Most of the time in the history of BBC Wales, it's been McVincent. Um, this time, it's Gareth Spensley. And Gareth Spensley, and, and you'll, you'll immediately know the difference when I mention, I think, when I mention the other episodes he's done. He's done The God Complex, and he's done Closing Time. 
And Town Called Mercy has that same sort of palette, that same sort of green gold faded palette that you find in God Complex and, and Closing Time. And it is it is a little bit different to what McVincent has set up most of the time. And I think you, you combine that with Stefan Pearson, and you, you get some incredible effects here. For instance, when they walk into a building, the light in the building matches the light outside. Now, who knows? Maybe that was a standing set, and they could do that. Maybe they are actually filming with the same light that's outside, so maybe giving too much credit to the to the... Um, colorist and cinematographer, but I'll be damned if the lighting, you know, when they're inside the Marshall's office, doesn't look like it belongs to the lighting that's outside. It, it's gorgeous, gorgeous matching, and the whole thing just has a sumptuous color palette. It's probably, you know, in, in, in terms of the color grading, I think it's the best episode of Doctor Who ever. I really, really do. Um, I think it's taken the crown from um, uh, Vincent and the Doctor. So, great stuff there. Uh, and I really will disagree with Perry. I mean, I, I thought that the actual story, when you get to the meat and bones of it, I, was great. It was just, I thought it was fantastic. Uh, much better. It was, it was adult. It was about something. It wasn't just about, you know, racing around, you know, on a triceratops. It wasn't about, you know, needlessly going down to a Dalek planet that really the Dalek shouldn't have been afraid of in the first place. There was an actual moral point that was being made here. And that characteristic of Whithouse, um, I think Whithouse comes really close to doing the same thing that he did in um, Vampires in Venice, and to an extent, um, School Reunion, not, not so much School Reunion, but certainly Vampires in Venice, you know, the idea of, here are some aliens, they've come down to the planet, they have their set of values that they're bringing with them. They aren't necessarily in the wrong, but nevertheless, they're doing things which, or have done things which are wrong from one point of view, and somehow the Doctor has to reconcile the alien to his point of view. I mean, it is kind of similar, but at least the beauty that we now see, now that we have like four Doctor Who scripts and one Torchwood script from... Toby Whithouse is there is always a point. There is always a moral issue that's going on. And the moral issue here is pretty fantastic. Quick um, question, Darth. Yeah. Um, if Stephen Moffat left the chair, would you love to see Toby Whithouse sit in the... Um, I would love... Well, I mean, this is quite off the point, but um, no... I would accept that. Uh, my dream would be get, you know, do what you did with Verity Lambert and what you did with, um, well, for that matter, Russell T. Davies and and Philip Hinchcliffe, and, and bring in somebody who has done Doctor Who before. Really, um, I, I would push for somebody like Howard Overstreet who does Misfits, or uh, there's there's some other people. I, I would rather start afresh and and have a clean break with the, the writers that have happened so far. Because at this point, you know, Gatiss, Withouse, Chibnall, all of them have had bites out of the apple. They're all okay, but it is time to say, you know what? It's not that mystical writing for Doctor Who. Other people can do it, so let's get out of the clubhouse and and let some other people start writing for Doctor Who. And I bet we get some exciting stuff. But you know, if you have to choose somebody who's written before. Would I take Woodhouse over 
Gatus, sure, any day of the week. Any day, Gatus is the least attractive option, but he's probably the most likely option. Um, I, I think that Woodhouse is about equal to Chibnall, uh, and I'm going with Chibnall based upon his work on Camelot, which was fantastic, and he was superb as the showrunner of that. Um, I'm not really going off of his previous Doctor Who work, but I think you know if he was actually totally in control, like he was with Camelot, I think he would be certainly better than Gatiss. Um, so I don't know, something like that. Um, but getting back to this episode, um, you know, it, a really good moral point, especially after the events of last week, where at the end. Let's face it, he went off message. I mean, I, I don't think that... I'm not as sensitive to other viewers who believe that the doctor just absolutely, positively will never use a gun or the equivalent of a gun. I think that's crap. I think that is a misreading of most of the classic era. You will find many instances of the doctor, and I'm pretty sure every version of the doctor, doing something that, frankly, he could have done differently unless people would have died. Um, and I also think that there are many instances where, you know, Seeds of Doom, absolutely Tom Baker would have pulled the trigger. Absolutely. Um, I, I think that there are other instances that you will find where the Doctor is having a gun or whatever. But I think what we're moving into is the theme for this little part of the season and maybe, in fact, the reason that Amy eventually leaves the Doctor because we're we're seeing the Doctor become more vengeful um, more out of control um, and more willing to take people's lives, uh, more right wing, frankly. And it, it, the great thing about this episode is that you we did explore that a bit more. I mean, I, I don't. It's a very right wing thing to say, you know, as the doctor does that I'm standing up for the victims. Uh, who cares about the, you know, sort of legal ramblings that go on before that you know who cares about the, the rights of the the killer it's the rights of the victims that i'm setting up for and that's a very right-wing thing to say i don't think any doctor has ever said anything like that and i think it's it's sort of refreshing to see that you know what goes along with saying i'm now no longer 907 i'm 1200 years old i'm 300 years on from where i was before when i started out this incarnation in season five that you know, his views have now moved in the way that a lot of old people's um, views move, move more right. And I, I, I found that discussion very interesting. Now, I don't think that it went far enough. I think that this episode shows the problem of the Amy character in that the Amy character hasn't, wasn't useful in a narrative way here. She was basically doing the same dance as you know, Donna in Runaway Bride or, or Rose in Dalek. You know, very early on in those companions' life, they get to see, you know, the Doctor has his dark side, and one of my jobs is to try to stop him from getting there. And I think we never really had that moment with um, Amy, except in the sort of the special case of Beast Below, but that was very, that was not about that. Moffat never framed the issue in Beast Below as to, you know, the doctor doesn't know what he's doing. Amy does. It was more, you know, Amy is seeing things that the doctor hasn't seen. So Amy is able to bring new information to the doctor, which is sort of a different thing than this. This is just 
morally what you're doing is wrong. Morally, you cannot aim a gun at somebody even if they are a criminal, even if they are a Dalek, even if they are a Sycorax, you can't, I mean a uh, Rachnos. You can't do that, Doctor. You've got to, you know, this is not how we roll, as she said. But, I mean, this is the anti-penultimate episode for Amy, and we're only getting around to that very basic point about what a companion does. And I think the episode would have been far more interesting if she had been able, if she'd already seen all this before and had, you know, started to see him slide in this direction again. Um, if it was something that she was already experienced with, it would have been much more interesting than, than what it turned out to be. Um, a lot of it, a lot of the angst here, you know, it, 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 it aggrieved me somewhat that we never got a line that actually somehow said, you know, the doctor is just like this doctor, this other doctor. Um, there's a little bit of that, but not, not strongly. I mean, what I wanted was some sort of recognition of, you know, the doctor had actually killed his own people, had actually murdered many more people than this little alien doctor ever could have thought about doing. And so all the anger was coming from that. Um, and, you know, it would have been interesting to explore much more the degree to which the doctor was similar to this other doctor. And uh, most of that happens because Matt Smith is a pretty good actor. Most of that happens because you can see it in his face, because you can fill in the blanks because of what you know about the series so far, because what you know of what the ninth doctor was. You can, you know, project that into Matt Smith's performance. But I would have liked for the lines to have actually been there. I would have liked... And again, this is where Amy is not the best companion for this. If it was Rose who knew the full story, if it was even Wilf who also knew the whole story, if it was somebody else who actually had had a conversation with the doctor at some point as to why he's the last of his kind, instead of that very glib thing that we get in, in Beast Below, which never really fills in any blanks, it's just, oh, I'm the last of my kind, and that's the end of this little discussion that we're having. Uh, I think it would have just been so much more powerful. Uh, this was a great episode because it tried to do something bold with the theme, but because he's lumbered with this very ill-defined, undeveloped character of Amy, the, there's nobody there to push him to the to the degree that it could have been. So I think it loses a full point because it doesn't go far enough with the central theme. Because um, uh, Amy's argument was slightly undermined by the fact that she said, we don't roll that way. And to prove her point, she picks a gun up and one's going to go shoot him herself. So well, yeah. <laughs> it was I a mean, bit contradictory, that. I guess, yeah. I mean, that certainly is true. But the you know the overarching thing is just Amy's the wrong person for this job, really, because she's not been developed in that way at all. Um, so that was kind of bad. Now there are some other things that I think are really good. I didn't really point this out, but that horse. I'm sorry, but that horse was was the finest animal ever seen on Doctor Who. Now you may not think that's saying much, but there have been a relative number of horses actually in Doctor Who. Um, there's been elephants, there's been other things that we've occasionally seen in Doctor Who. It was a gorgeous animal, and I, I just got to get that out there. Um, but um, some some other things that kind of annoyed me, you know, I did the 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 whole thing with the transgendered horse. I mean, you know what that was, and it's it's this thing that I hate about British writers writing for America, and I'm sure that 
you know, American, you know, Dave, that if you see American shows, Mr. Ed, you think, you know, that, no, no, that if you, if you see American shows that sometimes take a swipe at British characters for being essentially British, you probably oh, right. grate your teeth at that too. Yeah. I am okay. very, yeah, I'm very uh, tired of the, you know, backhanded swipes at America that have crept into the Moffat era in particular. Um, you know, we had in, in um, Impossible Astronaut, you know, the anti-Second Amendment line, you know, of... Uh, he's got a gun. He's, he's, oh, yeah, he's, he's American. He's American. Yeah. And therefore, he's going to be an idiot with a gun. Um, yeah, it wasn't here, here, here we get the preacher saying, you know, he's named after Joshua, who is, you know, from the Bible. So take care with that. And instead of just sort of that would have been fine. Or, you know, instead there's this gag about, oh, you're a preacher, so what I should do is talk about transgender rights in front of... And it's like, really? Did we need to go in that direction? No. I mean, th th this preacher was totally inoffensive. There wasn't a need in the world. He was just tr to do anything like it because he was just trying to save his town. He was doing his role as the community leader. And I just, I just felt that and he was way. saying the horse was aptly named as well. It was... Right, savior or something it was called. Uh, yeah, and I just, I, I just didn't. It's a funny line. I mean, it was a good echo of the horse, you know, being able to speak baby or whatever from last season. A good echo of that, but I just felt that the the need to moment, push uh -huh. transgender rights onto a horse that was that splendid of a steed was just, I don't know, that 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 pissed me off a little bit. I also thought that, um. The tr the Western tropes that were in this thing were just a little bit over the top. You know, did it have to be high noon? Did it did it really have to be high noon? Did we have to see you know the town clock registering? You know, it's one minute till noon. We're about ready for this you know high noon moment. You know, did did it um, did we have to have a lynch mob scene outside of the prison? Really seriously? Because we got one of those in the episode Johnny Ringo, which I guess is episode four of The Gunfighters. We got a lynch mob scene, you know? So it's, it's a trope not only of many episodes of Bonanza, many episodes of Gunsmoke, um, probably a number of films that my brother could tell you about, but I couldn't. Um, it, it's actually a trope of something that happened in the last Western that we got in Doctor Who. And I just didn't really see the point of it, really. I mean... I, I know the narrative point, but the, the narrative point could have been expressed in a different way. We didn't have to have the very traditional, it's nighttime before there's going to be a big fight in town, so therefore the entire town is going to camp out in front of the prison to try to get the offending prisoner out of there. I mean, it's, it, it's, that is so hackneyed. Um, but, you know, if you don't really watch Westerns that much, it probably didn't bother you, but, you know... I don't know. I found that a little bit over the top. I also found that the music, uh, which is, I think, was it Rick that praised it? I'm not quite sure. I thought it was too parodical. I mean, I really, I heard City Slickers in there, um, especially when the doctor was riding the horse. And I was like, really, this is what we're going to do, Gold? We're going to go for tropes of Western you know, big 
stuff. I mean, I just, it, it, it didn't strike me as original, and I thought it actually sort of detracted from my enjoyment of the episode, just because I'm used to being a, a bit wowed by Murray Gold, and, I, and this time around, I just thought, man, you are just pulling on every trope that you can possibly get your hands around. So I didn't like that. Um, but the mix was good. I mean, the mix has been great this season. I, I think everybody has to admit that the musical mix has not drowned out the dialogue, which is good. Um, and I would have preferred to have. I mean, the, mm. I was I was critical of the music, and I think it was Ken who was praising it. But mm. um, yeah. I I would have preferred to have have worked in the I am the Doctor theme somewhere into the Western music, and if it was in there, I missed it. But you know, just to get that sort of feeling, you know, a Western version yeah. of it or something. Yeah, I mean, it's not. Yeah, I, I I agree. There was something. I mean, I don't want to say. I think you said you know it's just flat out not Doctor Who music, and I, I'm not sure I'm quite <clears> there. But I mean, just for me, it was it's full. It's kind of forced. It was all. I mean, I had flashbacks to um, Waters of Mars, which I think has horrible music to this day. I think that is the worst Murray Gold soundtrack. Um, and I. I, I felt that way going through this. The music was bad enough that I noticed that it was bad, which is really not what you want to happen with music. I mean, you, you yeah, I don't even, even I don't even normally think about the music when I'm watching right. Doctor Who, and, and if anything, it just sort of you know charges me up while I'm watching it. Whereas this one, I was listening to music, going, "This doesn't feel right to me." That's all. Yeah, I mean, because you know, a lot of this episode is done internally to the characters, you know, because there are tons of moments where there's no dialogue at all. And it's, you know, the doctor waiting for the high noon moment is the doctor considering things that are being said by the, the other doctor. Um, so there's a lot of thinking that's going on. And in those thinking moments, there's the music. And for, it just, th that music that was there felt too similar to other Western soundtracks for me and not original enough. I think, you know, one of the great strengths of Murray Gold over time has been his ability to use music that you would not expect in a situation. So he's done things like, um, you know, the classic example is, of course, Doomsday, where, you know, they're separated, the Doctor and Rose, and you would expect for there to be some kind of you know, heavy violins or, or, you know, big orchestral sweeping sound. And instead he just, he throws away the orchestra entirely and he goes for a bass guitar and a piano. And it's, it's beautiful. It's perfect. It's exactly what that scene needed, but it's not what everybody would have done. And I think the problem I'm having here with Murray Gold's music in this instance is it's exactly what you would expect a, you know, recently graduated musical student to do. So that's, I, I don't know, just, it, it was less than what I think Murray Gold was capable of against an episode that was, you know, good. So that's, that makes it sort of more egregious. You know, the last week and even the week before that, I didn't really notice the music that much, except for when it wasn't Murray Gold at all. I mean, you noticed that it was Carmen, you noticed that it was Schubert, whatever. But the incidental music... Um, I didn't notice at all because, you know, really the stories weren't good enough for me to care about the music. But this was a good enough story, and the music just wasn't there for me. So that's kind of bad. And then 
the thing that I think is actually bad about the episode, those are all just like things that are not so great, but they don't completely sink the episode for me. But the one thing that I think is actively bad um, is I the gunslinger should not have moved his lips to talk because that voice, which I think is a good voice in and of itself, is obviously post-processed. I mean, there's no way you could hope that it would be anything but post-processed. And it makes sense that he would have that kind of voice because you can see on his throat that there is some sort of vocoder there, something that is you know, producing the actual sound of his voice. And I think that character would have been far more menacing if he just hadn't moved his lips. And it was entirely coming from that vocoder. I think like it would Darth have been Vader or something. Yeah. Kind of, except it would have been scarier because, you know, for all you know, and in fact we know that Darth Vader was actually moving his lips to make the sound because once the helmet comes off we see that he's actually using his lips. But mm. if this character whose face we just can totally see was not saying anything and you heard this voice coming out of you be kids would be freaked out. It would be freaky. And it, I, I just think that that was such an obvious thing to do. And I can't, and I, I suppose this is actually director's fault. The director really should have said, you know, we got to amp this up. You do not get to talk. You can do the voice. We're going to pay you all the money. You get, you know, don't worry. We're not going to, you know, use somebody else. We really use your voice. But you just can't move your lips in the scene. And it, it would have been a masterpiece. Because I think otherwise that character was pretty good. That's one of the more enjoyable one-off sort of monster characters that I've seen in the Moffat era. And... um it would have just been so much better if the the vo- if the lips had not moved. But I, I, I'm yeah. wondering whether the the voice they originally did it with the actor's own voice, and it when they looked at the rushes, it didn't it didn't work. It didn't look sound menacing enough, and therefore it was a, a secondary decision. In whatever that's where they talked to the screen, whatever you call it, that post production talking, and then they decided to do it at that point. I suppose that is a possibility, but, um, you know, so it could have been a thing like the the green skin of those aliens in the, the end of time. Yeah, or most yeah the Conqueror people, and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It could have been like that, but see, I would, ne- I mean, just immediately looking at the design of the character, the thing that strikes my mind immediately is, okay, this character does not use his lips to move. Why would he? I mean, I just never, would never even gone down the route of having that actor move his lips. I would have had somebody off screen staying in line so that somebody, you know, the actors have something to play off of. But I would, I would just, uh, that was, to, to my mind, that is one of the biggest missteps ever because I guarantee you, if that character had not moved his lips, kids would have been freaked out. And um, so it's sad that that was missed. But, uh, you know, overall, what, what, is, what is great about this, this episode is that it, it finally, this season, gave us something that actually made sense. I think that the plot is as solid as a Doctor Who plot, you know, a 45-minute plot could be. There's nothing really that doesn't make sense. Is the end predictable, uh, as as Perry said? And, and yes, perhaps it is. Perhaps it is the easy way out that the doctor goes back to his craft and blows himself up and that ends the story. And maybe we could have seen that coming a mile away. 
but in a, in a sense, the actual plot is secondary here to the theme, or as Rick Ball has said, the symbolism of what's going on. Um, the the meat here is as intriguing an idea as you know school reunions, question of whether we need to age, whether we need to change. It's as intriguing as as um, Midnight's uh, idea of. And in fact, there is a little bit of midnight in this script, really. But midnight's idea of you know what happens when the doctor is caught in an angry mob of people, you know. So th- at the core of this episode is something that is quite wonderful and something that deserves attention. I just wish that it had been amped up slightly. That it had been we'd been given more direct um, look into the doctor's mind. Uh, we know why he's angry, and the anger here is much more justified than it is in, say, The Beast Below. The anger here is great, because we know what the anger is coming from. It's coming from the fact that, in fact, he does see himself in this doctor. He, he, he is, you know, projecting, I guess is the psychological term, his own war guilt onto this guy, mm-hmm. and that's what the episode is about. I just wish that it had said that, that we've gotten a line where he talks about the time war and maybe even talk to Amy about it. But because he hadn't prepared Amy whatsoever for that, I mean, we've never seen a scene, I don't think, where he sits down and he says, I am the last of my kind because of the Daleks. I mean, we kind of get that sense a little bit in Victory of the Daleks, but she doesn't know who the Daleks are at that point because of the crazy way that... Moffat has written the character, so it doesn't mean anything to her. I mean, it's all very abstract. Um, so he doesn't, in this episode, he just doesn't have anybody to turn to and say, look, this is, I'm, I am angry. I'm angry because of all the things that have happened in my life and how I've had to, you know, kill my own people, and I see this in this guy, and this is what it, you know, it's making me, I, I just wish we'd gotten something not as inelegant as what I just said, but some sort of discussion about how this is similar to his own life instead of having to read it all in Matt Smith's performance. Because when you try to read something in Matt Smith's performance, maybe it's not actually there. Maybe, you know, that's not what Matt Smith was thinking about. Maybe he was thinking something else. You know, it's 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 there if you want to read into it, but I think it should just be explicit. If it had been explicit, this episode would have been a five... As it is, I think it's just a four, but considering this dismal season so far, a four is almost as good as a five. Um, right. You know, if we were grading on a curve, I guess. Right. Uh, let, let, let me stop you there before a lot of people jump in on that last remark of yours. Um, yeah. let me, let, thank, thanks for all that. Uh, let mm-hmm. me play a clip and then we'll go to uh, Kindar because um, time is moving along. Jack, move over the line. with your gods. No! Isaac! 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 You gotta stay. You gotta look after everyone. You won't come to that, Isaac. Protect Jax. Protect my town. This is gonna look long enough. You are right.
until noon tomorrow. Leave the keys and take a walk. The time you get back, this will all be done. I promised Isaac I'd protect him. Protecting him got Isaac dead. How old are you? Nearly 19. That's 18, then. Too young to have fought in the war, so I'm guessing you've never shot anyone before, have you? First time for everything. And that's how all this started. Jack's turned someone into a weapon. Now that same story is going to make you a killer, too. Don't you see? Violence doesn't end violence. It extends it. Let me guess. The good folk of Mercy wanted me to take a little stroll into the desert. You could turn a blind eye. No one would blame you. You'd be a hero. But I can't, can I? Because then Isaac's death would mean nothing. Just another casualty in your endless bloody war. Do you want me to hand you over? Is that what you want? Do you even know? You think I'm unaffected by what I did? That I don't hear them screaming every time I close my eyes? It would be so much simpler if I was just one thing, wouldn't it? The mad scientist who made that killing machine, or the physician who's dedicated his life to serving this town. The fact that I'm both bewilders you. Oh, I know exactly what you are. And I see this reformation for what it really is. You committed an atrocity and chose this as your punishment. Don't get me wrong. Good choice. Civilized hours, lots of adulation, nice weather, but, but, justice doesn't work like that. You don't get to decide when and how your debt is paid. Okay, and uh, let's go to Kindar, if we may. Uh, I like that you played that clip because um, the doctor's angry because all this stuff he's screaming, he's not screaming it at Jack, he's screaming it at himself. He has committed an atrocity, and now he's, you know, going on, and he actually has decided he's going to save the entire universe. Time and time. Even though it was something he used to do before the time war, now it's something that he has on the show. He has no choice. He has to save the universe because he needs to pay back the atrocity it is. And he's basically telling to, Jack, to telling to himself that he can't do it. He will never pay back that debt. You know, just like, you know, Jack feels that he's paying it back, you know, by helping the town. The doctor feels that he's paying it back by helping the universe. He will never, and that's what's getting him so angry that he's basically fighting a lost cause, and he's not even willing to admit it to himself. Uh, I honestly didn't feel the need for them to say that all that was about a time war. I thought that it was portrayed there very well, and if people have not seen from the from back to um, the Eccleston era, okay, they're not going to get it, but I think it would have been uh, spoon-feeding the audience too much if they had outright say, if they had talked about the time war in that episode. Uh, I'll agree that it should have been mentioned before. You know, um, any should have know, should know about the time war. Sure, you know, the fact that uh, the doctors never mentioned it in all this time, I don't think he has. So, I mean, I think that's what's actually missing. Not that they didn't say it here, but it was never that it wasn't brought up to Amy. Um, right. One thing that I thought was actually nice is that this is the second episode where they lead us to think that somebody's looking for that doctor. Yes, yes. Actually, just yeah. looking for any doctor. I, I think that's I, I'm. You know, having seen the preview on the next episode, I don't think they're going to do that then. 
But I think it would have been a nice a theme for these episodes of always having, of always leading us to think that you know somebody hunting down the doctor when it's just a doctor that's you know in trouble. Well, it's a pity, we, a pity we haven't got Mike Randall on audio because uh, I, if he doesn't come on audio, I'll mention some of the themes that have been going through. He's already mentioned the Christmas theme, and now uh, this seems to be a little bit of a theme as this, yeah. The, the, you're sort of tricked into thinking, oh, it's the, from, from the teaser tra- thing at the beginning, that he's actually wanting the Doctor, this uh, cyborg. And of course, it's not. But please go on. Yeah. The uh, other, and for me, it's pretty much the last thing that, that kind of um, irked me a little bit, is that this kind of didn't feel real to me. Uh, a lot of people have talked about how real American itself and all that. And yet, to me, I was sitting there watching there, and every time I kept waiting for the doctor to tell us that they're not on Earth after all, that they're somewhere else. Um, especially when he starts digging in the, in the sand uh, after running off on Susan. I, I really thought that's where he was going to go, that's, that he was going to come to the relation that, you know, somehow they weren't on Earth, and this entire place was a fabrication. Uh, actually, watching it, to me, it felt a lot like the original series Star Trek, uh, Star Trek episode where they're in, in this fabricated Western town and all that. It really had this feel of not being real to me. It felt like somebody tried to do a Western town and didn't quite get it right. I really, it's not a case where I can tell you why. It was just that it never felt real. And Okay, I have to say this. It, it probably is because of Hollywood. I mean, most of the Westerns I've seen are very Hollywood-based, so maybe my view of what a Western town should be is completely wrong. But for for what I felt they were trying to go for, the town just didn't ring right. It just, you know, it just felt off. And that's mm-hmm. pretty much all i got to say. Okay, thanks for that. We're going to go to Jeff, um, and then um, after Jeff, I'll play a clip, and then if Ian is okay with it, I'll go uh, next after that because uh, we're getting okay. So, um, Jeff, thanks for waiting. Oh, no problem, Dave. Uh, I'm going to try to be short uh, and to the point. I, I did like this episode quite a bit, um, maybe a little bit more than last week. Uh, there were just a few quibbles I had with it, I, and I don't know what Darth all said in his uh, mini-review, but uh, I didn't get the idea of the stones in the, raw, um, the, stones in the wood surrounding the town. I, I didn't quite understand what the point of that was. Maybe somebody can help me out with it's that. A line in the, it's basically a line in the sand. It wasn't anything technical. Just basically a line in the sand. Okay, why have that? Uh, it, it's because that, cause it was a uh, it was a man of rules. The cyborg was a man of rules. If the yeah, but he crossed inside, it at it, the end of the, he crossed it toward the end of the story. So yeah, I, I yeah. just didn't understand that. Uh, I thought there was going to be some technical uh, explanation for it, and there wasn't. Um, at least I didn't see any. The music. Uh, as some people have commented, I thought the music was well done. 
uh, it drew me in. It put me into the Western feel of things, and I quite enjoyed uh, Murray Gold's music this week. Um, You're obviously a sugar foot like me, or tender foot, whichever way they say it. <laughs> Are you a well, tender foot? Well, the different. Well, well, the, the series had a different name in the UK. I think it was called Sugar Foot in the States and Tender Foot over here. But just me having a joke. I, I agree with Darth. I, this part I did here. I, I think they could have somehow worked in the Doctor's theme into the, into the music this week. That's the only thing I'll I'll say about the music that I I thought they could have done better. Um, kind of like they did with um, the Impossible Astronaut, where they were out west and they they did put the Doctor's theme in into that uh, soundtrack. Um, the the ending was kind of. Um, I didn't care for the ending as much as I thought I would. Um, it was kind of, okay, I'm going to kill myself, and why didn't he do that earlier in the story if if they were all going to starve and die and all that? Uh, if he was so concerned about saving people and healing people, well, why didn't he just give himself up earlier to save the town? I didn't, I didn't like that. I didn't quite understand that. It didn't make sense to me there. Um, Rory was completely underused in this story. I, I, they could have just left him at home this time <laughs> for as much mm-hmm. as he did. Uh, and uh, th- that disappointed me a bit because I really liked Rory's character. Um, why did the doctor mention the master to Amy? Does she have any clue of who the master is? I bet she doesn't. Portent. Pardon? Portent. Portent. Meaning the master might be coming back. Portent. Oh, I see. I see. Um, could be. Um, I haven't heard anything along those lines. Um, you never oh, know. No, it's not a spoiler. I wouldn't give spoilers. I'm oh, I know. I'm saying that, that could be only a, a reason why. Well, you know what the reason is, don't you? Please tell me. The the reason is because she recreated the universe. So she must know who the Master is. She has to know everything. That's the problem with this character. She is the source of the universe. That's why she's so annoying. I I disagree with that interpretation you have. There were all the molecules inside. Creating the universe. There were all those molecules. There were all those other molecules inside the Pandorica. She remembered it back to life. Well, she remembered the the doctor and the TARDIS back to life. I don't know if she remembered everything else into existence. Well, I think she was supposed to, yes. She, that is part of the problem with the, the Moffatverse, is that we don't know what exactly happened. But it certainly seems to be, if you just go on dialogue alone, that she remembered the entirety of the universe back to life. Well, I don't know. I, I, I disagree with that because uh, the doctor said something about there. you only need one molecule of the universe or something to recreate the universe uh, with the Pandorica. So I don't know. I, 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 I interpret it differently, I suppose. Um, there was one other point I was going to bring up, and it just flew out of my head. Sorry about that. No, that's okay. Not your fault, Dave. So, but, so what was it—a lukewarm reception, or a, uh, or, well, or more? Well, of the three episodes we've had so far, 
the first one I liked the best. It, uh, I gave it a 4.5. Last week's I gave a 3.5. This was somewhere in between. I, I, so I'm guessing a 4 thereabouts for this one. So overall, I guess I've, I've enjoyed this season so far. 3.5 or higher for all three episodes. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to next week. And I think if you've been kind of watching things, we know the least about this upcoming episode of, of the five. So looking forward to being surprised. Oh, okay. um, I, I remember what I was going to say. Uh, ben Browder, I thought his character was was very interesting. Probably the best character of the, of this, this whole story. And I didn't know a whole lot about this story going into it either and didn't even know about the marshal's character, uh, which should have been actually the sheriff. Uh, the marshals, they traveled around, and they still do in present time. Um, so he should have been named the sheriff, but uh, I was expecting him to be the gunslinger. I didn't know who was playing the gunslinger. So it was that was kind of a nice surprise to see him playing the, the marshal. Uh, and I thought he played it extremely well. Uh, I was very pleased with his performance. And well, that's okay. all I have to say. Narratively, he shouldn't have been the sheriff because uh, uh, the, the whole point of the story is that whoever was in the town at the time that this gunslinger showed up was stuck in the town. They couldn't leave, obviously, because once you step outside, then the guy comes and kills you. So he he could still be quite conveniently or quite easily a marshal who just happened to be in the town, you know, touring the district, as it were, and just got stuck there. And there is a mention, actually, of the sheriff. If you look really carefully at all the posters that are on the wall, there is such a thing as the sheriff of mercy because he's issued a, a uh, reward for the criminal or whatever. But sheriffs are, of course, county people, so he wouldn't necessarily... I guess what we're supposed to assume is the marshal happened to be in town, the sheriff was in another town of Mercy County, and, you know, just got lucky and is not trapped in the town. So it's not really a problem that it's the marshal. I could see that, Darth. And I'm looking forward to listening back. I had a phone call during the show and that I had to take and I'm looking forward to listening what you had to say that I missed Darth okay right let me play the last clip from this uh, series I, I have got the clip for the trailer which Ian will make a decision on whether to play at the end or not but here's the last clip and then I'll have my little say Where is he? He's gone. Where? Answer me! Away from here. Look up. Any second now, you'll see the vapor trail of this shit. This is their home. Not the backdrop for your revenge. Look up. Go after him. Take his battle away from... Carlatech. Carlatech. Jax. Just go! Finish this! I will find you. If I have to tear this universe apart, I will find you. I don't doubt that. You'll chase me to another planet. And another race will be caught in the crossfire. Then face me! Countdown to self-destruct resumed. Face me! No. You've killed enough. 
I'm ending the war for you too. What's going on? The countdown. What's going on, Jack? Thank you, Doctor. I have to face the souls of those I've wronged. Five. Perhaps four, they will be kind. Three. Two. One. Zero. He behaved with honor at the end. Maybe more than me. We could take you back to your world. You could help with the reconstruction. I will walk into the desert and self-destruct. I'm a creature of war. I have no role to play during peace. Except maybe to protect it. Okay, so, our next trip. Oh, you know all the monkeys and dogs they sent into space in the 50s and 60s? You will never guess what really happened to them. Um, could we leave it a while? Our friends are going to start noticing that we're aging faster than them. Another time? No worries. Uh, and I left the whole monologue out there because there was no way I could just brief it. You can't play the whole thing. Um, long enough that clip was as it's held. Uh, I'll just go briefly because I'll be... Uh, heading off in a short while into the sunset of Podshock World. Um, a number of things that, uh, Matt, since Mike hasn't come on to audio, there seem to be these themes mentioned, of course, by others in the room about this thing about uh, doctors. We've had this theme of crash ships as well. Um, obviously, um, that as uh, well, they, they had the crash ship in the first one. We had, uh, the, yeah, we've had a crash ship in all three episodes. Christmas has been mentioned. Um, we've had prisoners as well. In effect, uh, this girl was almost a prisoner of the Daleks. One would say, um, we we ha you know so we've we've had this prison world of the Daleks, and we've got prisoners here, and um, so that was the thing. Uh, I think I agree with Jeff that the ending was a little bit. Uh, neat, as it were, a bit sort of self-solving. But on the other hand, I think that was because the story really was not there. It was, as uh, people said, and the reason probably why Kobo liked it so much, it was this um, moral dilemma. It was basically holding a mirror up to the Doctor in some ways. Um, now, my opinions change somewhat. I, the main thing that that makes me critical of this episode is I don't think it was that entertaining when I watched it, I, it, it never really got out of second gear for me. It, um, I was expecting so much from the little trailers, and all the good bits seemed to have been in those trailers. So um, I felt uh, that there wasn't that much more substance. It was very well acted. It looked, to me, uh, very well realised. Uh, I mean, uh, they'd done it in Spain somewhere, as had been mentioned by... Ken, the spaghetti, home of spaghetti westerns, and it seemed reasonably authentic. I quite like the sort of, uh, not banjo, but guitar sound, you know, thinking of Johnny Guitar and all the old uh, westerns I used to watch. So, on the face of it, it promised a lot, but for me, on the night, it just didn't deliver. I was, to say I was bored with it, is perhaps too strong a statement, but I was not I was not engaged with it. I watched it, but I didn't feel any great um, excitement or enjoyment. 
going through all the audio clips, there is an awful lot in the dialogue. And, and, and as I've done this before in the past, I do urge people to actually uh, check out these dialogues, maybe even to listen to occult commentary that might be on the feeds in a day or two's time. Because there's an awful lot in the actual thing. We've got reference to the 1,200-year-old doctor. We've got reference to how the time disparity for Amy and Rory is beginning to concern Rory. We're getting this distance between the doctor and his companions, who I already believe should have left the series. But um, whether they're under contract or not, I don't know. But um, it, it feels as though we're being weaned off them over a very long period of time. And I think I would have rather the break had been a much cleaner break with them uh, once they got the house and Rory got his car. And I would have rather it, it have gone at that point. So all in all, I think technically there was an awful lot in this episode. It wasn't a bad episode. It wasn't a poor episode. It just didn't seem to me to... The, you know, the ignition was never lit um, although there were some very fine portrayals. The chap uh, that played, um, you know, the, the, the alien, the Doctor, uh, Adrian Scarborough, uh, a very good actor. He's, uh, he's been in, um, well, what's the, um, well, he's been in a lot of the King's Speech, but I remember him from um, the, uh, oh, what's the historical drama um, where he plays the buckler, um, and of course, I can't find it now, can I? Um, Isn't that Navi? What was that? Isn't that Navi? No, no, it's the other one. The Gene Marsh one, uh, upstairs, downstairs. Upstairs, downstairs. He plays the book yeah. like that. Um, where he plays a character somewhat similar, by the way, who's very, very timid. Uh, uh, and he's a, a recovering alcoholic. And in one episode, without being too spoilish, something happens that he gets drunk. And uh, you see a whole different side of him. Um, but he, he is a, a, a good actor. He's been in lots of things, the History Boys and all sorts of stuff. So um, I'll end by that, uh, by just uh, having my say, and as I say, handing back to Ian as I will disappear off. Um, and I'll let Ian decide whether to uh, play the next time clip. And presumably he will give everybody in the room a warning about that. Thank you, everybody, for being on. Um, remember that next week we will be back same time. And uh, if anybody, uh, when they leave here, um, whenever it gets wrapped up, uh, Lewis will be doing uh, Podshot Live. And the uh, URL for that, or the Podshot number is uh, 23358. It's just gone live now. So hand back to you, Ian. Okay, okay, just one question for you, Dave. Um, who hasn't gone, aside from myself? Jeff G7? Is it, is it the only person? No, there's, uh, if he's come on audio, yes, uh, but he wasn't on before. So there's right. Jiffy G7 himself, and uh, unless Mike or Terry come on audio. Okay. Cheers, right, thank guys. you, Dave, and uh, good luck over at Podshock. All right, um, Jiffy 7 take it away. You're up. I'm not hearing Jiffy 7. And no, Terry, you're not on audio. Otherwise, you'd be on audio. <laughs> but I'll go now. Um, hopefully, Jiffy 7 will show up. Um, and maybe Terry will show up too.
So, um, I've been having a hand about what to say about this. Uh, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of a bit of a non-event for me. Um, I think part of my reaction to um, to this season is, uh, again, it's, it's I blame it on Stephen Moffat. Uh, <laughs> we've, we've been promised these, you know, it's they're almost like movies, and this one wasn't. It was like an episode of Doctor Who, um, and just not a really exciting one for my, you know, mind. Um, it was all right. It was nothing fantastic. Um, I wasn't like, oh man, I've got to watch this again, or um, I'll probably enjoy it like I did with uh, Dinosaurs on the Spaceship the second time around, or, or third. Um, but just it just didn't really grab me. I, I saw the things that they were trying to do, and I saw some nice stuff in the dialogue, but it just, in the end, didn't really kind of all come together that well. Um, there were some, some niggling things in there. Um, I, I, I don't understand why, at the end, when the Doctor was getting into his spaceship, uh, why he was trying to stop the... Uh, the uh, the ship from exploding, um, it didn't didn't make any sense at all. He was trying to override the the self destruct, only to reengage it about two minutes later. Um, and if he did in fact trigger the security alarm when he got into the ship like the doctor did, um, why was the gunslinger um, completely unaware that he'd done that? Because he heard it when the doctor did it. So I, I was just kind of confused by that whole little sequence. He gets in the ship, he's trying to disable the, uh, the the destruct sequence, disables it, and then, yeah, he, he goes on to, to, to blow himself up. Ah, confused. Uh, <laughs> but um, I was really, really looking forward to seeing Ben Browder in here, and not that he didn't do a great performance, because he did. Um, I just thought a bit of a, it was a bit of a waste. Um, I would have liked to have seen more of Ben Browder and... and I mean, I don't really know what I was looking for, but I was just hoping for, you know, something different. Yeah, uh, I can't exactly tell you what, but I like Ben Browder, and you know, <laughs> and and I just wanted to see more. Um, but yeah, it was an it was an okay episode. There's some nice fun lines and uh, uh, and some interesting stuff, but uh, I I found that. With this series, you almost have to read stuff into it. Um, you almost have to kind of fill in the gaps yourself. Uh, we have the bit where uh, Rory um, uh, and, and uh, the Marshal are being chased, um, and he's trying. He's, he, he goes to shoot them, and he, he can't because he, he might uh, he might uh, hurt Rory. Um, but yet he makes the threats about um, he doesn't want to yeah he, he won't he, he you know if he doesn't get the dogs he'll kill everyone he'd kill anybody which just seems if it's a bluff I mean I I think it should have been a little more obvious um, again this I mean this even goes back to to dinosaurs on a spaceship there's there's stuff that we're just I just feel like we're expected to kind of make it up ourselves and and read it in there. Um, uh, for those of you who listened to our commentary from last week, um, Mike brought up the fact that um, Nefertiti did actually disappear from history. And um, while 
you know, people were sitting there probably going, oh, you know, the doctor dropped Nefertiti off and, um, and not, not back in her own time. You know, you can't do that. Um, she'll be missed from history. And it's like, there was a perfect opportunity to actually get people to go and look at the history book and, and, and look at this and see, but it was just glossed over. And there's, I just think too much of that. Um, yeah, it's just just these little things that kind of irk me where we're just getting things glossed over and it's, uh, you know. Um, I hated the whole horse joke. Uh, I hate the doctor talking to, to, to things like that. Um, Jifty7 says, uh, says uh, Nefertiti did disappear from history about that time. And it's like, yes, that's that, that's great. But it needed to be mentioned in the episode a little more boldly like you know the companions are supposed to say but doctor you can't leave Nefertiti there why not and a knowing smile because then people will go well what do we not know about Nefertiti just dropping her off there just didn't do anything um that was my my problem with that um oh lost my lost my train of thought thanks Jeff seven nine hours onto something there no um yeah it's just it just wasn't. I, I mean, I'll watch it again. Of course, got to do that in the commentary. Um, well, it'd be like at but, the end of the visitation, right, where where they start yeah. the the London fire, right? You know, and he sort of says, "Well, it had to have happened somehow. <laughs> you know, started somehow." I right. guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then um, time lash, you know, um, where they where they drop uh, Herbert back, and you know. The the insinuations there, you know, and 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 of course, you know, um, uh, the creation of the Loch Ness monster. It's like, you know, there you go. It's like there's 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 how it could be done, you know. And it's just. Oh, I also have a problem with uh, leaving an android, you know, a cyborg on on planet Earth, and <laughs> it's like, okay, that's not a little weird, um, but you know. Uh, I'm going to cross over now to my wife's comments, which she was just, uh, you know, a little, you know, bored by it too. Um, and she also made mention that she's getting a bit tired of the, the, the doctor, like, threatening to kill people, killing people, um, and uh, the whole thing with the guns. Um, she didn't like that. And, you know, uh, again, yes, I realize the doctor has done it before. Um, no, not a fan of it there either. I don't like to see the doctor. Um, and, and, and it's a fuzzy line. I'll give it that. There's there's times when the doctor has to defend himself. I mean, we've had a, a Cyberman come out of the, the you know um, the, the interior door of the TARDIS, and the doctor picked up a gun and shot him. Yeah, because you know full of felt that you know his life is in peril right there. You know, there's a Cyberman on the ship. He's got no other visible means of defending himself. Yeah. Um, yeah. When uh, and uh, the fifth doctor killed uh um omega he had to otherwise the you know the universe would have exploded uh, you know there's there's times when it's kind of allowed and i just didn't see how the doctor you know pointing a gun at this guy and threatening his life um would have done anything uh, the the guy was <laughs> yeah once once they disarmed him what what was he going to do nothing he couldn't do anything um, he could have run him out of town without a gun and just left him there. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, so it's it wasn't a good episode for me, and, and the wife didn't like it all that much. Um, I don't think it would be one of those ones that, that let's say, was doing a big rewatch of of, of, uh, of the series, um, which I've just gone back and watched, you know, odd episodes of, of the Matt Smith era. Um, I, I don't. I think this would probably be one I'd, I'd just skip over because it's didn't really add much to anything. So, um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much me. Fifty uh, seven. Are you uh, on audio yet? So I'm not hearing you. All right. Well, um, we'll quickly go back around the room, see if anybody's got anything to add as uh, as uh, as we try and close out. If 57 can get something working between now and then. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll go back around the room. Everybody can say their goodbyes, and uh, if they thought of anything else in the meantime, they can certainly bring that up. Uh, so, let's see. Uh, I'll go back to Ken. All right. Um, really like the episode, as I said. And something you brought up I, made me think of something about the the doctor using violence and using a gun. Self-contained, I don't like it. If it's going to lead to something, I think it'll be really good. When we saw the 10th doctor go over the line well he we he's last of his uh, race he's about to regenerate he's losing it if this is some grand plan of of Moffat's in the future leading to this uh angst-filled crisis from the doctor um i think it's going to be very good it it's nice to see the doctor um, not so being so morally absolute um, after a time. I also viewed it as it wasn't just the doctor um, wanting to punish this doctor. He wanted to punish himself, and he's using transference. So he's pointing that gun toward himself. He's wanting to uh, punish himself for the wrong and his own guilt. So that's what he's laying on his own head. But an enjoyable episode. I, I still think it's the best of the three. But we haven't had brilliant Doctor Who this season yet. Classic, incredible, human nature type Doctor Who. And um, that's all I have to say. Thanks. Okay. Thank you very much, sir. And we'll go back to Kindar. Anything you want to add before we get out of here? No, not really. I mean, I said I said what I had to say, and everybody else has covered the rest. Okay. Yep. Well, you know, sometimes you you, you know somebody talks about a, a specific scene or something that you you forgot about, and I was like, ah, damn, I was going to bring that up. So yeah, I'm not we that just like smart. to check before we leave. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't say that. I'm not that smart. Uh, <laughs> all right. If you can't yeah. say it, I'm allowed to say it. There you go. <laughs> Jeff, anything you want to add before we hitch up the horses? Well, I'm surprised that Amy or Rory didn't bring up the World War II and using the atomic weapons on Japan because there was uh, quite a similarity between that and using the cyborg to end the war in this uh, uh, planet. Um, And I don't know, I got into a discussion with uh, some people on 
Gallifrey base about this last night, and I, I think it did, in, in the case of World War II, did save a lot of lives. So I, this war was going on for years and without resolution, and then they suddenly end it with these cyborgs. I think there was some good to that. Now it's not good to lose lives, but would there have been more lives lost? without them. That's that's the moral dilemma there. Um, th- this story also reminded me of a Star Trek The Next Generation episode. Um, which one was it? It was uh, the, the Hunted in the third series where they were using genetic soldiers, genetically modified soldiers to end a war on this planet that was trying to join the Federation. So I think there were similarities between this story and that one in Star Trek. But, uh, yeah, I enjoyed this story, and uh, 4.0 out of 5. Just just a counterpoint there about the, the whole, you know, cyborgs, you know, bringing the war to a, a very quick close. Yeah. The only difference there I can see between them and a bomb is that um, the experimentation on innocent people to get this um, weapon basically, is is the difference there and where I'd kind of draw the... I mean, you can kind of see the Doctor, there's, there's two minds. It's like, yes, there was a quick and swift end to the war, but you experimented on these people and killed a lot of them to achieve this weapon. That's know? true. And so that's that's where it kind of, uh, you know... I mean, you got war a is a very, very difficult thing to, to, to debate, you know. Um, you know, oh, yes, we saved a ton of lives by ending the war, but, you know, yeah, so it's always a difficult thing to debate. Especially on your free base. <laughs> Good point, Ian. Yeah. All right, Perry, anything further you would like to add? Well, I mean, leave? the development of atomic weapons wasn't without human experimentation, and it certainly drew a lot of knowledge base from the Nazis. And in fact, we had Nazi scientists, you know, who defected or and um, and things like that. So they're, they're, it's not like there aren't those issues with atomic weapons. It's not like a bunch of guys just sat in a room and thought it up and and made it up. I mean, there were there were a lot of things that went on that people don't talk about um, because I guess it'd be un-American to say that or something like that because we won. Um, I, I don't know, but but the parallels are definitely were strong there for me. And of course, you know, I got that. It didn't take much to to get that. That's what this was all about. And this guy was, to me, was almost like like a Nazi scientist or something like that who who was basically um, you know regretting what he had done and things like that. I, I thought of that as well. It almost looked like you know like a German scientist from from the 1940s to me. Um, but, yeah, I guess, you know, the episode did have, uh, I mean, listen to everybody else. I mean, there were good things about the episode. It's just that, to me, I had felt like I had been there before, seen it before, and, may, and it did fit in the style of a classic Doctor Who episode, which I did like and appreciate that. If maybe it had been a two-parter somehow, but uh, I don't know if I'd want to watch it for two hours, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I, I was I was kind of disappointed with it, and and Ian, like you, I had my wife in the room going, "Yeah, this is boring," <laughs> things like that too. So that kind of colors my uh, my attitude it, about it as well. It would have worked as. I think. I'm sorry, Perry. It would have worked as a as a 
um, classic series two-parter, uh, yeah. dividing it up right in the middle where Amy's pointing the gun at the doctor. Well, if they had more time to, you know, for more dialogue and discussion about the real philosophical problems going on, I think I would have enjoyed it more. But instead, it's, you know, some one-liners, try to get some funny jokes out and, you know, a few lines of philosophy and, and things like that. And more Ben Browder. More ben and more Browder Ben Browder, would yes. Have been nice. Yeah, I did like the, the um, I did like the cyborg a lot. Uh, I, I thought that he was interesting. Probably the most interesting thing about the episode. But that's about it. I, I think I would give it. Uh, I think I would strain to give it more than about a two and a half out of five. Okay, okay. Darth, anything further you would like to add? Um, yeah, you know, it occurred to me we haven't really talked about the uh, narrator. And the fact that there is another narration. I mean, how many we're going through? Oh, all the young girl, yeah. Yeah, we're going through all these narrations in the Moffat era, and most of them have been crap. I mean, let's face it, the narration to whatever that was, the second part of Hungry Earth, Cold Blood, uh, that did nothing. In fact, causes more problems than it than it solves. That was just horrible. There's been a lot. Of, the, I'm not so sure that the Asylum of the Dalek narration was that good. Certainly, the narration at the end of uh, uh, Beast Below serves no purpose. But this time, I really thought it was good. Uh, this time, it actually does give you something more to the story. It does provide you with narrative backdrop. I mean, it it basically gives you the, uh, what's the TV trope term, the lampshade, I guess, uh, for, for why this normal American town accepts aliens. You know, it accepts all this, you know, accepts that the doctor is parked in his TARDIS right in the middle of the uh, main square and disappears and they just sort of go on about their business. I mean, it, I thought that was really important that it actually does give us some kind of context for how these people are, are dealing with the fact that they've been overrun by aliens in the 1870s. So that, I thought it was a very effective bit of narration on both the opening and the, the closing of the story. So that's, that's for once, something good. And just to go back to a point that you were making, Ian, it is actually fairly well spelled out why the uh, uh, the alien doctor changes his mind and goes from trying to get away to being blown up, committing suicide. Because he's having this discussion with the, the gunslinger, right? And the gunslinger says, no matter where you go, I will hunt you down across the universe. So that triggers the doctor to say, well, okay, if you're going to hunt me down, no matter where we go, this is just going to play out somewhere else. So the only way to end this is to blow up the ship, which is a perfectly but rational explanation to me. What I was so, getting at is there, to me, there appears to be an issue with the fact that he leaves the town, and we, we keep cutting back and forth. Yeah. We cut to him running up to the ship, and we cut back to the town. The next yeah. shot of him in the ship is him trying to disengage right. the auto-destruct. Right, because he thinks at that point he's going to leave. That's the plan. Yep. But why is the order destruct going? That That's the thing I have the problem with. I don't have a problem with the narrative of everything. But why is the order destruct going? It's his ship. If he triggered because the uh, alarm like the doctor did, right, exactly. it would have gone off, and and the the gunslinger like he did before would have heard it. Like walking into your house and having to enter the security code. 
to, to yeah, that's keep all the alarm is. from going off, right? But I don't that's know why the alarm didn't go off though. Because you know, he entered the, he did with the entered, doctor. Yeah. He entered the Maybe. proper. But when the doctor got there, he went to open the yeah. He went to open the door and the alarm went off. Then the doctor had to get in and then disengage the alarm. Well, it was a, probably a two-step so, process, and he bypassed the first one, the, right. had to then turn off the second one. Right. The yeah, thing is, I don't get why has... it was there in the first place. Why didn't he just? Why didn't they just show him getting into the ship and preparing to leave? <laughs> they, they did show him getting in the ship and preparing to leave, though. Yeah, but first he disengaged the, the, the self-destruct. We'd already right. established at the beginning that the ship had a self-destruct mechanism. Why was it necessary for him to be disengaging the self-destruct? Because that's I, the security feature that of that craft. And the doctor says, why does it... The doctor even says, why does it have all this security feature? It doesn't make any sense. I mean, it's, his, he, it's, his, it's his ship. It's like the alarm going off in my car when I try and put the key in it. And that's never happened to you before. No. Okay. Well, I think I think Ian's never, point is that is that logically it it makes sense, but narratively, as a, in the story, we've already established this. So why do why do we have to bother wasting this time to show? Because it we did establish it narratively. So if it doesn't happen the second time, it doesn't make any sense to have established it the first time. Yeah, because it's, and, and 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 it also for, shows for me. It's, he, sorry, go on. Yeah, if I go up to if I go up to somebody's car and I try and you know get in there and the alarm goes off, right? Okay. If it's my car, I disengage the security, get in. Okay, but I think uh, that's, that's, what, that's what I don't, to me. To me, does. logically, that scene just didn't. It just seemed out of place. That, but that it does it disengage it though. That the alarm doesn't go off. What goes not? off is. Because he's disengaged. He, it's his ship. Because he knows how to get in it. If you, I mean, there's a, a labored scene of the doctor, you know, knocking on everything, using the screwdriver all around the egg, jumping up and down on the egg, trying to figure out how to get in it. He clearly doesn't know the right way to get in it because he doesn't know the right way to get in it. The alarm goes off. But because Jack knows right, but... the right way to get in, he's able to get in without the alarm going off. But then you've got the secondary protocol of you've now got to enter a passcode within 10 seconds, or the ship will blow up, which is different from the alarm. Again, this kind of leads me back to the, you've got to read stuff in where... No, you don't have to read anything. It's, it's, it's all there. It's right there. I mean, I agree that some of the stuff in this episode you do have to read in. I mean, I think in order to understand what in the world is going on Matt Smith's face in, in these you know, emotional scenes of trying to... You, know, you, you do have to know... Well, the Ninth Doctor was involved in Time War. And you, you have to know all the back history of Doctor Who. But this, that's, I don't know. I think if you watch it again, and you don't sound like you're inclined to watch it again, but if you would, I think it would be like, it, I think it makes sense. It would make this no sense. This is one of those things it, that, yeah, to, me, to me, it just, it, it stuck out as being like, what, you know. I mean, we know the ship's going to self-destruct, so in order to, for him to blow up, that's fine. That, that's what we needed to know that for, that it's going to self-destruct. I right. don't think we need to know that it was a secondary uh, security thing, which, no matter who gets in there, has to disengage you know, you know, two security protocols. Uh, look, you know, I just, look if, I, if I'm on my computer, and I've been away from it for a while, and it's gone to screensaver, in order to get back into my computer, I have to successfully enter a challenge. Or a better example is better example is an iPhone. At least the way I've got my iPhone set up, if you don't answer the 
password correctly after 10 tries, it erases itself and sets itself back to factory default. I mean, it's just asking I guess a security I, I mean, question to get in. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm just saying that, that, that with, even without that scene, I would, it would have been fine to me. I mean, you know, because um, at the end of the day, he gets in there and he blows himself up. It's like, yeah. I guess, but, but I mean, I, I mean, we'll be watching it again tonight when we do the commentary. So, you know. yeah, but the, I mean, the, don't forget that another narrative point of the countdown happening for the second time—that is, the countdown with the alien doctor in the ship as opposed to our doctor—is that the gunslinger senses it, and and there's this explicit line. Actually, the doctor hears it too. There's a—that's what tips off the doctor and the gunslinger that something is wrong. Because the countdown starts again, which they hear. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I think it it might make more sense the second time that you look at it. It gives it a narrative uh, moment of tension. It you know? does. Yeah, yeah, it does do that. But, I mean, I think it's also narratively consistent with what happens before. If it didn't happen the second time, then the question would be, why didn't it happen the first time? Right. Well, I mean, um, my natural assumption would just be, it's his ship, he doesn't, you know... It's his, it's his deadly thing. version of a car alarm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, I guess. But there's also that yeah. very funny line. It also adds, lets there be the funny line of, uh, oh, hell, now I've forgotten it, but the, how the the security software that's speaking to him, the doctor, mm. the original, our doctor, says, you know, we've been you know, brought to you by whatever the software company name is, blowing up people for three centuries or whatever it is. <laughs> Fantastic. Which is a great line, you know, oh, yeah. and so it just reinforces the point that that ship isn't to be messed with. You right. know, you've got to do exactly the right thing or else you will die, which he does. Yep. Oh, and I finally remembered what it was that I was in the middle of before, before oh. I got sidetracked, and it was talking about the horse. Um, I hate the doctor talking to everything. I just do. I, I don't care whether it makes sense in the series or not. I just don't like it. I mean, there's it added some funny lines later on where the, they're kind of talking to and the doctor's talking to the horse. You know, it's like, but he could have done that without the horse even understanding. You know, he could have pretended he was having a conversation. But this speaking baby, speaking horse, speaking God knows what else. It's just, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. You know, I know. It's. I mean, part of me is like, it's consistent at least. Because, you know, if you have the thing with baby speak, then you kind of have to have another thing with animal speak. On the other hand, you know, if we hadn't gone down that road at all, well, it's so funny, though, in the uh, in closing time. It is all that Stormageddon stuff. It is really kind of funny, so it's kind of worth it. Um, but this time around, you know, I'm not sure that it's particularly worth it. Um, it... I don't know. Maybe maybe Withouse just thought, you know, I got to throw in something because it's sort of a dark episode, and if I don't have little lines here, but it it is. It certainly makes you wonder why it didn't happen before, you know, because yeah. um, there, there there's why why didn't he talk to the horses when uh, in Big Bang, when Pandora opens, you know, right. or even before that. I'm sure that there were instances. Thank God. Um, oh. Oh, it's the one on uh, where the horses fall on them around the ship. Um, oh, in the um, girl in the fireplace. Girl in the fireplace. It's like 
yes, the doctor talks to the horse and says, go away, but there's no indication there that that the doctor understands what the horse is saying. That's a really good point. True. It, it does kind of weaken yeah. that moment. Yeah. Right. There's actually a, a scene that's omitted from, from that episode where the doctor sees the horse being mistreated. Um, but then that's that's gone and, you know, that's, you know, but, uh, yeah, there's there's never any kind of, you know, people talk to animals all the time. You know, it's just a matter of admitting that, you know, you can hear them talking too. It's, uh, yeah. it's where it goes crazy. Yeah. yeah. Especially since the horse didn't actually make any sounds. I mean, there's a couple of moments, I think, when they're out in the desert. That's but, you know, it's like, so horses are telepathic? Huh? And, anyway. You know, and there's the uncomfortable thing, I guess, slightly, that it, you know, why choose Susan? So he's riding his granddaughter? I mean, yeah, I know, and it's kind of, I was like, Susan, what? Brief, Yeah, why that name particularly? Uh, it could have been, you know, Betty would have been fine. Yeah. Brenda, whatever. Allison. <laughs> yeah. Susan, though, that's kind of a sacred name in Doctor Who lore. You don't really screw yeah. around with that too much. And again, I'll, I'll, I mean, the, the sex thing wasn't necessarily, you know, the, the transgender thing wasn't necessary. It would have been funny if you guys know he prefers Bob or he prefers Roger. It's still a funny line because the doctor flaunting this yeah. kind of, you know, like, oh, I can speak horse and you can't, so shut up. It, and the whole yeah. thing with it, the, the horse having a, a, a meaning like that and coming from a preacher, that was it was all that whole scene was manufactured just for that point, and it was like oh, you kind of overdid it. Yeah, yeah it would be funny I, I if you got so. on the horse and says the horse na- horse's name is you know um, Thunder. It's like no, it's not. It's Bob. That would have been funny. Exactly. Done, you know, <laughs> it's like yeah. you were kind of you worked too hard at the gag. Well, but the, the thing is, it wasn't a gag, was it? I mean, then this is my problem with, again, British writers writing about America. They always want to get a barb in about some political issue, and that was clearly a politically motivated thing, right? That's what annoyed me, and and the fact that, as you say, there there was clearly another way that you could have gotten exactly the same comedy mileage out of the line, and maybe even more, because it would have been burdened by this whole completely inappropriate transgendered political issue, you know? Yeah. I mean, seriously, I mean, it just it just doesn't make the line funnier no. at the end of the day. It has nothing to do with whether that political goal is, is a good one or a bad one or whatever. It's just, it's not funnier to go that route. And it knocks the wind out of the preacher character who is nothing yes. but someone with grace. He's, yes. He's spot exactly. on every scene. Is, he's, he's really exactly. nice. Exactly. It's one of those moments where it's like, you just tried too damn hard to do something when you could have just gone the easy route and got a nice laugh and been done and out, you know? But it's like, really? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's, it's, just, it's, it's just overworking something that, that, that just didn't really need it. It's like, you can have the doctor speaking horse that's if that's what you want to do there was funny there was funny stuff with the baby uh, yeah you know, it's, it's it's the second week in a row where we've had this i don't know what it we should probably find a, an agenda name for it since that's popular in doctor who uh fan circles but the, i don't know what you'd call it the um the 21st century agenda let's put it that way 
of a, a mm. 21st century character looking at a historical character and saying, your values are stupid. Because, you know, last week we had Amy saying to the, the, the hunter or whatever, you know, you're a misogynist pig. You go around and kill animals on the African plains. You're a bad person. And it's like, well, that may be true according to today's standards. I might personally feel that myself. But the character's from 1902. I mean, you know, it's not... And this character's from 1870. I mean, transgender politics are exactly nowhere on the political scene in 1870. So why bring it up? Why, why bash the game hunter because he's only behaving in the way that most men of his era did? You know, it's just, it's not, he, he doesn't have the information to be enlightened. He doesn't have the, the impetus to be enlightened. So why right. screw with him on that basis? Yeah. It just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's annoyingly unnecessary. And, it, and not only that, but it kind of goes against the values of the program in a way because, you know, initially it's supposed to be about educating kids, right? And you don't see this kind of thing in, you know, the Romans. You don't see this kind of thing in um, the, uh, uh, what the hell, the French Revolution story, whose name I always forget. Um, you, you don't see it in the Hartnell era when Hartnell rocks up in a place, you know, isn't this horrible what you're doing. The only place that you kind of see this sort of, and I don't want to say liberal agenda because that's not right, but the only progressive viewpoint, or where you see people's modern day viewpoints being put on a situation, is kind of the Highlanders. But the Highlanders, you know, at the time there were people who were clearly opposed to the slavery that was going on, the forced you know, taking of the people from the Highland clearances of the Highlanders and taking them to North America. I mean, there were people who were opposed to that at the time, so it was okay to be opposed to it in the context of that story because that was a period-specific, you know, right. uh, viewpoint that was held. But this stuff is just, it's gratuitous almost. And actually, there's an interesting um, thing that I'm not entirely sure what the full line is, but, the, but in the first episode, there was a, a name thing going on there too, where uh, um, a Dalek girl called Rory uh, a female name. Oh yeah, you know, again because of the insertion of you know whatever that was the aura of lesbianism, or not even that, just the experimentation that a lot of people go through in their teens with right. same-sex partners or whatever. It's like. Was that interesting? Was that necessary? Kind of, kind of not. It, it, there were other things that could have been done. And in fact, without the line in which it suggested that she has had a, a same-sex partner, to just randomly call him a girl, that was great. That could have been fantastic. You know, um, because yeah. there, is a, there is, let's face it, a part of Rory that's, you know, this is a guy who wears a skirt sometimes. Um, and, and that's fine, you know? Well, more than once uh, they've made a joke about Rory being gay, you know? <laughs> right, you know, and that's... So let's play that up. Do we, do we need to... Maybe yeah, we she will ultimately... Just said, she yeah, could have just said, I'll call you Nina, you know, and that would have been mm. it. And that would have been it. And that would have been, you know, why. just yeah. oddball whatever. And, you know, if indeed it turns out that this character is 
comes back or that there's, you know, whoever Jenna Louise Coleman eventually plays, if she's not already playing that person already, you know, the, it could well be that there is a genuine, you know, a part of her character is genuinely she is bisexual, which would be great. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but you could have had the line in Asylum of the Daleks that, you know, I'm just going to call you Nina. And then we find out later the reason that she was calling Nina was because, you know, Nina was one of her girlfriends or whatever. And then it would have been like, oh. So you get the comedy line and you get, you know, the, the seed planted for an eventual revelation that's important. I don't know. It's, there's, there's, it's just a little too heavy-handed lately. I mean, it really is. Just Some things are just... Getting out of club when you could have done something, you know, had a feather and it would have been fine. Yeah. Uh, See, I don't mind the one on the side of the dollars because that just seems like fun and flirty stuff. Plus, sure. generally, he's calling with another woman. Anyway, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> not having a problem with that vision. <laughs> well, but yeah. But yeah. It's just, yep. It's, so, yeah. Yeah. Just, the, where is the subtlety of. Stephen Moffat of old. That's what mm. I want to know. Because, you know, Blink is entirely about subtlety. Really. Uh, yep. Girl in the Fireplace. Oh my God, Girl in the Fireplace is a masterpiece in subtlety. I mean, there, there's innuendo, but it's good innuendo. It's real innuendo. You know, it, it's, mm. it's, you know, you're, you're paying attention to the episode innuendo. This stuff that's going on, you know, lately is just, it's it's way over the top. Yeah. Alrighty. Um, I think we should probably wrap it up. People need to leave. Uh, there's another show going on somewhere else on Talkshow uh, called Clodshock. Um, I'm sure people are willing, getting ready to head over there. Um, I'm going to quickly play a uh, uh, our, our little information bit about how to join the collective. Following that, we'll be the trailer for next week's episode, followed by our outro. So um, best cover your ears and, until uh, we put stuff in the text chat. Or if you listen to this later, just you're not missing anything after this. <laughs> all right. So I'd like to thank you all for coming today. And uh, thank you for bearing with us as, uh, uh, after Dave leaves, because it always falls apart when that happens. Um, and we hope to catch you back here next week for our review of the next episode of Doctor Who. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoe. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Thank you very much, Tiggs. And uh, yeah, here comes next week's trailer. And goodbye, everybody. Every time we flew away with the Doctor, we'd just become part of his life. Come with me. But he never stood still long enough to become part of ours. Except one. Haven't you seen him? 
year of the slow invasion. I've recommended we treat this as a hostile incursion. There are soldiers all over my house and I'm in my pants. We have two lives, real life and other life. Our best hope now is each other. <laughs> what do we do? Choose. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.